When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk from Clue.com. It's National Signing Day wrap up. National Signing Day was Wednesday. Ryan Day held a news conference. He could talk about these guys for the first time. I was there. Nathan Baird was there. Stephen Means was there. 20 player class for Ohio State. As we record this Wednesday evening, fifth in overall rating. By the 247 Sports Composite, third in average star rating per player behind Bama and Georgia. That's about, that's in range, Stephen, of what Ohio State does. That we are going to have an NIL conversation on the back end of this podcast. We're going to talk about some of the players they missed out on in the middle of this podcast. But we're going to start off with the guys they got. And the guys they got, Stephen, is one of the top five classes in the country. And by quality, not quantity. It's third. But that also takes into account that there's only one star, pl- uh, one five-star player in this class, and that's low for Ohio State. And when you run through the 35 or so five-star players in this class, you know, hey, this school got five, this school got four. Hey, these schools got three. There's a lot of schools. There's like 12 or 15 schools that got multiple five-stars, and Ohio State's not one of them. So it is interesting, Stephen, that their overall star rating is that high, that it's third in a world where at the very, very top, there have been years where they've had five of the top 25 guys, and they only have one guy like that this year, but there's still their overall quality rating is very high. Like, what what does that tell you about this group? It means they got some good players, and their middle class is big, and We've had this complaint in the past about some Ohio State classes. Like you take the 2020 class, for example, there were a lot of lower rated guys. You're going, why are you taking that kid? There aren't as many of those guys in this class. This, the floor in the middle class has been raised. Even if when you look at the top and the cream of the crop guys that you expect to be superstars, there feels like there's this what could have been mindset to it. But the middle class is pretty quality. There are a lot of guys who who honestly should be contributors at some point in their career. Nathan, how do we wrap our head around this 
this five-star discussion. Ohio State got one of the top 44 guys in the country by the 247 composite ratings. In 2017, they got six of those guys. In 2018, they got, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of those guys. Six of the top 44, seven of the top 44, one of the top 44. And I'm just drawing a line there because that's where their second highest rated guy is. I do think sometimes, I mean, yes, sometimes there's a complaint about the middle class. I mean, I've kind of come around on like, give me all the five stars and then give me diamonds in the rough. And I'm not sure the middle class is actually where you want to play ball all that much that like a bunch of guys rated at 250. I'm not sure. Cause like to me, sometimes guys rated in the two hundreds, they're big enough. They're strong. You know, they're tall enough. They're at big enough schools and they're just not quite as good as the guys above them. Sometimes the, the diamonds in the rough way, way down there. It's like, well, they're from a false, a small school or they're a half step slow or they're, an inch too short, but if they had that, they'd be much, much higher. So I don't know, Nathan, like uh, there is a part of me that's like this. I think this discussion is similar to the Ohio States in the playoff discussion. If you let yourself, you can complain a lot about one of the four teams that made the college football playoff. And I think we've been trying to say, is that really what you want to do? If you let yourself on, as we record this on Wednesday, you could complain a lot about a school and a program that just finished with the third highest star rating of any schools in the country. And the two they finished behind were the two best programs in the country in Alabama and Georgia, despite NIL, despite the rise of Michigan, despite Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame, despite Auburn and Miami flipping some of their dudes, right? Despite all that, they have the third highest quality group. So I don't want to start with complaining because this is, a good, a very good recruiting class. But you can also look and say, well, they used to be better. Yeah, I was about to look and see where are they ranked just within Big Ten programs. You talk, I can look. Um, because it's like, you want to, like, it's one thing if they're like 10th, but you're still the best Big Ten program. I don't think fans. I don't think that's where you want to live either, right? You don't want it to just be like, well, there's still like all these other teams would be would love to be where Ohio State is. That can't really be the standard. But I think you're right that there also has to be some uh, – you have to look at it in context. Um, but I would also – I don't know. Listen, we talk about everything about this program through the lens of does this make Ohio State national championship caliber or not? used to be – does it beat Bama? Now it's, does it beat the Bulldogs? Or I guess it should be, should it, does it beat the Wolverines? Cause they're not doing that either. So uh, this isn't really a time where you can afford too big of a drop. You're trying to maintain your place. And I think the, the healthiest way to look at this is to not get too caught up in those broad rankings because those I think are a great barometer over a long period of time. They're not always, the best barometer on a year to year basis of what that team is going to look like in three or four years. I think what's most constructive is trying to project out where did this team need help? Did it get impact players at those positions? I don't think we can do the, oh, where are they in relation to the next big 10 program? Because Ohio state doesn't recruit like the rest of the big 10 does. That's my point. So yeah. that, like, yeah, but, but, but that's like how they build their roster. Like Michigan right now, they're, you know, 16th, but they're also offsetting that by getting a bunch of guys in the portal. So that's how they, you know, pull together a roster that 
you know, has beaten Ohio State the last two years. And so how do you go about constructing your roster? Michigan knows it's not going to go out there and, you know, try to get every five-star, every top uh, 100 recruit. So they have offset. The, because there's other ways to now build your roster, I don't know if, well, what do they do in comparison to the Big Ten is really a thing because Michigan doesn't recruit like Ohio State, but it just beat Ohio State like it does the last two years. Right. The, 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 so I do point. think what, one, of the things we, one of the things we have to figure out is how much has what happens on National Signing Day is that still the driver of how good your team is going to be? Or do we have to look of, do we have to change our, our viewpoint of that? Um, Nathan, when you look, I think Penn state is 13th in the nation. I think Uh, 14th, 14th. Yeah. And Michigan is uh, 16th or 17th. So that's still a big gap. That's a big gap between Ohio state's fifth, Ohio state's fifth. Now, the, the, the thing that's interesting sometimes, Nathan, is you'll look at stuff and it's like, oh, Ohio State has as many five-star recruits as the rest of the Big Ten combined. By the 247 composite rankings right now, there's two five-stars who got recruited into the Big Ten, one at Penn State, one at Ohio State. And that's different. And, and I do think I, – I think, like, five-stars are real, right? Like, Chase Young was a five-star, and mm-hmm. Jeff Bokuda was a five-star, and Garrett Wilson was a five star. And so you can act like, well, ah, you know, but it's like, well, I don't know, like a lots of five stars become all Americans, not all of them, but more than some. And they are, they are a little short here compared to where they've been when sometimes they have four or five guys like that. If you look at the teams by the number of five star recruits, Alabama had six. Georgia two, Texas four, Miami three, Oregon three, Oklahoma two, Texas A&M two, USC three, and Ohio State's a one there, Nathan. I think that matters. I do think that. I don't think that's the end of the program, but I think it, I think it matters. Yeah. Like who are, like Justin Fields was a five-star. He wasn't at Ohio State, but then he got here. I mean, he was a five-star. Chase Young, just go through, like, J.K. Dobbins was, if he wasn't a five-star, he was super close to a five-star. Like, those mm-hmm. guys were all, like, you know, Braxton Miller was, like, a five-star, a borderline five-star. Like, it is, like, a lot A lot of times they're, the guys who really make a difference are that good. And so if you're if you're two or three five-stars shy of what you normally are, mm, you have the third-best star rating in the country, but that's maybe two or three superstars that you're not going to have in two or three years. Well, yeah, and that's kind of what I'm saying. And go ahead three years. So think about it, like there's about 35 or so five stars in a given year, right? It sort of mirrors, it's supposed to mirror first round NFL draft status NFL projecting draft. out. Yep. So project that out three years. How many of the top 100 players in the nation do you think you need to be on your roster to win a national championship? And how many do you think you can get out of just this class? I mean, that's the math I would I would do here. And it's this class you know, Brandon Ennis obviously stands out. This is a class that I think Ohio State looks at and says, if three or four years down the line, if they're talking about its contribution to a national championship, it's probably about who overachieved out of this class more than this class driving it there. Steven, you've mentioned this. This group, I think, is is a decent um, comparison. When you look at the, the 2019 Ohio State class, that yep. was kind of that weird crossover from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day. And they only had three guys in the top 82 mm-hmm. in that class. 
Zach Harrison was a five-star. He was the 12th player. Garrett Wilson was a five-star. He was the number 20 player. Harry Miller was a five-star. He was the number 30 player. And then you look, so that group, this is their fourth year. And mm-hmm. Harry Miller, as we know, retired from football, and Garrett Wilson is in the NFL, and Zach Harrison is an important fourth-year senior here at Ohio State. Last year, Garrett Wilson was very important to that team. Zach Harrison was very important to that team. And again, we we know the, the Harry Miller situation. Who, by the way, Harry Miller seems like he's doing good. He, we were in there the yeah. other last week. He was there, like hanging out with the yeah. team. So like Harry Miller's in a good spot. That group, Steven, I think you can look at it and say, okay, well, and it's like, all right, well, in year three, they were on track to make the playoff and perhaps, you know, take a shot at the national mm-hmm. title until they lost to Michigan. And then in year four, they made the playoff. So, and that was a group you would have said, okay, year three and four of that class. That class only had three of the top. J- Jamison Williams, who then left, was mm-hmm. the number 82. So you only had, you know, a couple guys at the real top like that. And like it turned out okay, right? That they weren't terrible. I mean, their junior and senior years, they were right there. But then I also, I guess maybe, Stephen, would you, would you counter and say, well, yeah, but maybe if they had a couple more five stars, they would have beat Michigan. I don't know. But they didn't fall. Like if, if – if you're projecting ahead to say, well, maybe that's what you look at this class and you look ahead in year three and year four of this class, is that where they will be? And it's like, well, I don't know. Where were they? Like right in the thick of the national title race both years until the last week of the regular season. And then they couldn't beat their rival. That's not disastrous. So I don't know. Like, how do we take that into account if we're looking for a comparison? Yes. This is all of that. Uh, One thing I do want to point out, though, is the thing with five stars and top 100 recruits, they set kind of a baseline for where you expect a team to be, and especially those players. We always say this, top 100 recruit, year two, it's go time. Time to get on the field, buddy. What you doing? All four of those guys were starters as year two players. Zach Harrison and Garrett Wilson were both contributors as true freshman five stars. Harry Miller, not so because he's an offensive lineman, but he was a starting left guard. And Jamison Williams, even if they didn't use him, he was the third starting receiver. So from by that standpoint, even if it wasn't a bunch of them, they were all on pace. The problem is there weren't a bunch of them, so there's not a lot to go off of. So to the to the latter point you were making about, well, maybe if they had a few more, maybe they don't lose to Michigan. That's the point there. What if you had, instead of only Zach Harrison, Garrett Wilson, Harry Miller, Jamison Williams, you double that, and now you've got eight. Because then also that offsets, Harry Miller had real-life stuff happen, and I don't at all want to devalue that. But if you've got eight of those guys and real-life stuff does happen, these are still human beings, you still got seven. Okay, maybe another one transferred. You still got six all contributing. And that's that's what they were missing in that 2019 class, which is why a lot of the time in the tw- that last season we were going, some of these 2022 guys are going to have to be better than they may be ready to be because they had to offset the fact that they didn't have as many in 2019. Now the question, I'm, I'm applying that same logic for 2023. Are we going to be saying the same thing in the 2025 season? Hey, man, some of these 2024 guys got to be ready to bring it because there are not a lot of top 100 recruits in this 2023 class who aren't right, and especially once you get you erase the wide receivers from that equation. But I think this Michigan conversation is instructive for the rest of this pod because we're going to be talking about numbers and where guys rank and all that stuff. But I'm pretty sure Ohio State's talent, collective talent level by star rating and scores and all that stuff is still better than Michigan's was the last two years, and it didn't win either of those games. So yeah. keep that in mind as we're 
assessing these players. It's not just about amassing these numbers on a sheet. There he is. There he hey, is. There's hey, old look. recruiting doesn't matter, Nathan Baird. I, I knew not he at would all come what out. I just said. That's not at all what I just said. But let's be honest it about was from what the tree. <laughs> it it I, the, the idea that like so why why does Ohio State have to get more five stars than Michigan does to win the same game? I don't think that's what we're saying here. No, no, I think it's just more. You can't put yourself in a position where you're asking guys to do more than maybe they're ready to do. And that's what, because Ohio State does recruit in this world of top 100 recruits and five stars, then you need a lot of guys who are that time of former player to be ready in year three. But if you don't have that guy on their roster, while the way that Michigan builds its roster, if they have the guys ready who are supposed to be ready by the time they get to year three, that's how you get what happened in 21 and what happened in 22, especially when some of those guys might stick or more likely to stick around for year four, like Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo did. That's not more likely to happen at Ohio State. If you're a well, borderline top one, yeah, but I don't know if he would have been, a, he would have been the number two pick in the NFL draft after coming out in 2020. No, but he might have been good enough. Okay, let's talk about it. We could have a Michigan conversation later. Let's have an Ohio State conversation. Let's talk about the guys that they did get. Uh, on both sides of the ball, Stephen. Where do, let's start, Stephen, with the receivers because this is still where the bread is buttered for Ohio State. And Brandon Innes is the only five star in this class. Noah Rogers, Bryson Rogers, Carnell Tate. It was funny again. The, the thing about this, and I think people listening to this understand it, is National Signing Day. The head coach can publicly talk about players. That's like the big. It's like what's the big deal? It's like that's the big deal. One of the the, the main big deal is they write their name down. And and one of the compliance guys for Ohio State like sent out a funny tweet on Wednesday that was like, ah, like no more faxes. It's all like DocuSign and emails and texts mm-hmm. and stuff. It's like the old – because they still use – they were waiting for faxes long after nobody else was using a fax. So you lock your name in. So no more flipping, right? There were flips. Mm-hmm. Ohio State lost a guy to a flip. Um, on Wednesday, there were other flips nationally. One of the guys – it was kind of funny. Like one of the guys at Ohio State when they were looking for – kind of second-tier quarterbacks in this class. Austin Novasad was a guy that they were on early, and it was like, no, he's yeah. sticking at Baylor. They can't get him away from Baylor. He flipped to Oregon on National Signing Day. He's like, well, <laughs> sorry, Baylor. I guess Phil Knight maybe really wanted that guy because Oregon had lost its quarterback in this class to UCLA yeah. on Tuesday. So bing, bang, boom, here's the flipping domino. So the main thing is you don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. You don't have to, you don't have to like babysit even the guys that you've had verbally committed. They get locked in, but then they could talk about them. So I did think funny before we get to Brandon Ennis, Stephen. When and I'm going to do what Ryan Day did, when Ryan Day was asked about Brandon Ennis, he talked about the whole receiver group because yeah. he's smart enough to know I don't want to make any receivers mad. You never know who's going to pop. But even he said that he just unprompted was like, "Ah, oh, Carnell Tate." That was kind of an interesting recruitment. And I think Carnell Tate for a while, who's the second best receiver recruit in this class, he's one of the guys who felt for a while like this could be an NIL situation, right? Because wasn't mm-hmm. Tennessee dancing around with him? And then Notre Dame was involved at some point too. It felt like Ohio State really worked to keep him. And that's the kind of guy that you are happy working to keep because when you keep him, Carnell Tate's going to do something here. NIL made the Carnell Tate recruitment last a lot longer than it needed to last. Here's what it a year ago at this time, it was Ohio State versus Notre Dame, regular recruitment, just, you know, building relationships, stuff like that. Then NIL became a thing on the recruiting trail, and all of a sudden here comes Tennessee and LSU getting official visits, and they got in the mix for that. I had talked to somebody back in the spring just about how they were trying to navigate through some of that stuff, and I think their words were, 
there are a lot of people out there who are offering a lot of false hopes to a lot of kids. And it was clear that some of that was true, but also some of that was, I'm sick of dealing with this. Can we just do things normally here? But yeah, there was, and I was involved, Tennessee had at that time in the spring was, I don't want to say the face, but they were among those people where it's like, why are you all of a sudden you getting five stars? They got a five-star quarterback. You never get those types of players. Why are you getting them now? Well, someone must be having some NIL inducements going on there. But uh, ironically enough, we're talking a lot about how, and we'll get to some of this later, but how Ohio State, how maybe NIL impacted Ohio State. Brian Hartline had no issues with that. He really only had one loss in this cycle, and it was uh, uh, Zachariah Branch because Lincoln Riley went to USC. Everybody else he wanted, he got it. And the opening that the Zachariah Branch thing presented was it gave him a chance to go get a guy like Bryson Rogers as his kind of, trust me, this guy is good, even if his ranking says otherwise, which in the past when he's went and got those guys, it's typically worked out in his favor. So Bryson Rogers, lowest-rated receiver recruit in his class, 325. He's actually the second-lowest rated player ryan day mentioned he has ohio connections um out of florida so i was like okay what's that Mm -hmm. warren yeah right so like Mm -hmm. that's you know he's in florida now but he's has those ohio roots uh and i misspoke carnell tate actually is the third receiver in this class because their receiver recruiting is so good he's number 61 according to 247 noah rogers out of north carolina who again kind of hung in for a long time with them for north carolina kid number 45 and then brandon ennis is number 29 overall Three of the top four players in this class, Stephen, are receivers. Do you have any context? How would you compare, for instance, this receiver group to the Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith and Jigba, G. Scott, Mookie Cooper receiver group of of three years ago where, I mean, in the end, you're just not going to go four for four. That class ended having up one transfer, one position move, one guy who absolutely popped and one guy who's been good but has kind of battled injuries. I think if you go two or two and a half for four – out of this group, you'd probably be happy in the end. But what do you think of the overall receiver group? I think of the all the classes Heartline's put together so far, this one has the most day one ready players when you add that football context. Because even that 2020 group, I mean, Jackson's from Texas. Of course he was ready to play football. Julian played in a wing tee offense, so there was always going to be a level of uh, just development. And then the other two were just lower rated top 100 recruits, so there was going to be some development. In 21, Ameka and Marvin clearly ready to go. Jaden Ballard needs some time. This 2022 group, I mean, we'll see. It's kind of the clock is ticking. Brandon Ennis, Carnell Tate, and Noah Rogers are going to be guys who are going to be ready to go from the moment they hop on this campus. Now, does that mean that they're going to be in the two deep? Maybe. They can be in the two deep. They're not going to surpass the starters because the entire uh, – starting core is coming back. But those three, especially since uh, Carnell Tate and Noah Rogers will be early enrolling, I don't think American Heritage lets players early enroll. So I don't, Brandon Ennis won't get here till June. But those are three guys where I'd be shocked if at least, if not at least two of them weren't in the two deep. At the, the way that things are you know, progressing right now for the guys currently on the roster. All right, offensive line, Nathan, another big group that mattered here for this class. Four guys in this class on the offensive line led by Luke Montgomery, the number 52 overall player, the third highest rated player in this class. He's an in-state guy. Then you have Joshua Padilla. He is the number 218 overall player, another in-state guy. Austin Saravel, the 249 overall player, another in-state guy. And then the lowest rated player in the class is Miles Walker out of Connecticut. Late ad, one of these guys who was, you know, getting Ivy League offers for a while, and then all of a sudden he explodes and Ohio State wins the late battle for him. I think very fortuitous for Justin Fry in year one that there was good in-state talent 
four offensive linemen. Ryan Day said Luke Montgomery is going to start off at tackle. Austin Saravell is going to start off at guard. And Joshua Padilla is going to start off at center. And then I think Walker just maybe feels like a bit more of a of a project there. To Justin Fry's credit, they have do have an interior offensive lineman already committed for 2024, who's a top 100 player and Ian Moore out of Indiana. So, For the record, know, um, just to butt in right there, Ian Moore will probably play tackle when he gets here. But Okay. Um, and despite just, his Justin Fry. Go win and go go win some guys in Indiana. That's good yeah. for the guy who wants to be the head coach in Indiana someday. But you know, like I, as as soon as you lose an in-state offensive lineman that matters, then you then it's like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? But I just give less credit for the in-state guys. So I think Justin Fry's got to go out and win some battles. But Nathan, like they had to fortify here, and I think we're all very intrigued of what Luke Montgomery may or may not be able to do sooner than later in a tackle situation that is at the very least uncertain for 2023 at the moment. Yeah. And also as of the moment that we're talking here, and I don't know, depending on how long we go, um, we may have a resolution by the end of this podcast, but a Johnny Cornelius, the uh, transfer target from Rhode Island is announcing it in a little while. So we'll see if we get that uh, news onto the end of this podcast. So they are still pursuing options in the portal. And they said today, they're not just taking people to take them, but if it's the right fit, you know, the things he said before. You know, it's great that they got Montgomery. I think you're right that this was probably a fortuitous year to have um, so many good guys in Ohio. I think when you're getting those guys in the 200s, as we talked about before, you can get in-state guys in the 200s. It can be like long-term developmental depth guys that you don't have to worry about maybe as much with them where they are three years in and who's getting antsy as you do for like a more farther regional guy, a national guy uh, at that same kind of recruitment level. Uh, I think a lot of this comes down to just what Montgomery's ceiling is because that is still, it's a lot of eggs in his basket as far as helping solve this tackle problem long-term. Is he able to handle left tackle for you? Is he more of a right tackle? Does he stay a tackle? I, you know, they said that he begins there, but he did specifically say he's going to start at tackle as opposed to, you know, someone like Paris Johnson, who isn't the best example because he did spend a year at guard. But like guys like that, when they come in, there's usually really no talk about whether they're going to be tackles long term. They just are legitimate tackles from day one. So we'll see. I think it's it's reasonable to have uh, to be optimistic about what Montgomery can bring to this group. But I think they need more, and I think they need it soon. Um, it puts still more pressure on 2024 to be a big, um, impactful class as far as offensive line guys. Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones are going to leave. We've we've had a lot of interesting discussions with the could Donovan Jackson be a tackle situation. Let's say Donovan Jackson's not a tackle. The top four tackles next year, like in spring football, so the two deep tackle would probably be Josh Fryer, Zen Mahalski, Luke Montgomery, and Portal guy to be named. Like Tegra Shabola is probably an interior guy. I mean, he was a second team guard this year. He's not going to go to tackle, right? George Fitzpatrick is George Fitzpatrick potentially a tackle guy who's a true freshman this year, good athlete. Yeah, but like we just—he's a tackle. I haven't heard or even seen seen much from him since we talked to him when we got the early enrollees. Yeah, somebody has to but <laughs> as you're saying, somebody has to be the fourth tackle. So he is a tackle. It could be him. Um, but no, but, but you're hitting. But the on... reason I'm asking is because like Luke Montgomery, like I'd throw him right in. I would, th- I would literally 
And again, I, I asked specifically Ryan Day about like, can Luke Montgomery compete for a starting job? I know it's a big ask. Or philosophically, would you just be like, no, 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 no. We're just not even going to go down that road with a true freshman. And he said, like, it's a, I don't want to put that on him, but we also don't want to put a cap on him. If there's a starting line for the tackle race, I think I would put Luke Montgomery right up on the starting line. I don't think I would make him start that much behind Nathan, anybody else that currently is an Ohio State Buckeye, right? I mean, would he start yeah. a little behind Josh Fryer? I don't know. Well, but honestly, even these portal guys that they're looking at are not all Americans. They're in some cases like not even uh, necessarily all conference guys at Power Five conferences. They're you know the Cornelius was a, a, an FCS guy uh, out of out of Rhode Island. He's been good, but like we don't know for sure that he steps in right away and is a Big Ten difference maker. Um, the guy that they just uh, offered out of Washington State, um, whose name is escaping me right this second, um, another example of that, um, who has been very solid, started at left tackle all of last year, but you know, but not, not an amazing guy. And listen, I, I, what I think of when I look at Montgomery and it'd be still an accelerated timetable and a recruit who isn't even of this level, but when Nicholas Petit Frere came in, he could help push other guys in practice enough that even when he wasn't ready, it made them better. So Brandon Bowen got better and became a starter for that 2019 playoff team with Nicholas Petit Frere kind of helping push him. Although, Petit Frere still did have some limitations there because of his weight. Paris Johnson comes in, and it people right away, even though he wasn't ready to play, were talking about things he was doing in practice. I think he makes that room better. So can Montgomery, at the very least, come in and sort of help elevate the level of play in that room to force whoever is going to beat him out to be that much better? I think the uh, just to push back on a lot of this, Paris and Nicholas, especially Paris, at least looked the part from day one to where physically – you knew he could handle it. It was more of, okay, now can you go win the job? I know Nicholas had to put on some weight. Luke is a lot closer to Nicholas, and actually he's that times 10 because he didn't really start playing full-time offensive line until this past year, and he's done a really good job over the last eight months putting the weight on. From uh, my under, He's like 295 is what he's showing up at. But, I mean, you got to be like 315 to play tackle here. So it's like the talent, the quickness, athleticism, all of that, I'm right there with you. But it's almost like let's hold off and see what he looks like when those offensive linemen come out there for that first spring practice. And let's see what physically type of shape Mick put him in through the winter. Because if he still looks like he's only barely 300 pounds, the answer to this question is going to be no. Because then it's like he's not going to be able to handle it physically. I'm not sure the answer to the question would be no. I think the answer to the question would be, uh-oh, Yes. So um, it, it's 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 almost just, like it's almost unlike with Paris and Nicholas between Fair, where it's like, oh, a five star won a job, cool, because we've seen that. It's actually not a good thing if Luke Montgomery's one of their starting tackles next year, and that and that even with what the room might be, it's very much not a good thing if he's a starting tackle. Listen, it, it wasn't a tackle, but Michael Jordan started as a true freshman here and had no business starting on the offensive yes. line here. And he was a big-time recruit. And it was like, this is not a reflection of how good Michael Jordan is. This is a reflection of how desperate this offensive line is because that offensive line had some very big misses in recruiting, had some guys who got here and did not 
play the way that it was expected they would play. And then they were like, Michael Jordan, you seem smart and nice. Can you start? And he was like, uh, I guess I can. And so then he started. So that is nothing against Michael Jordan. He went in and fought, man. And then he ended up starting his whole career here. But it wasn't the plan. But when they got when it got down to brass tacks, it was like, yeah, hey, can you uh, can you send five guys out for the first team offensive line? And it was like, no, we only have four. They're like, but well, the, the rule is <laughs> you have to have five. It's a rule. We're going to get a flag on every play for not having enough guys in the line of scrimmage. Michael Jordan's like, I'll do it. So I Luke Montgomery might be in the I'll do it category of. I don't. It's either Luke Montgomery or Xavier Johnson because I think or Chip Trainum because Xavier Johnson yeah. and Chip Trainum are football players who can play anywhere. Either Luke Montgomery has to gain twenty pounds or Xavier Johnson has to gain two hundred. What is the choice? <laughs> I don't know what we don't know what else to do. We don't know. We don't. The guy, the guy from Maine Tech in the portal, picked Nebraska. We don't know what. To, so that's why I asked. But Jarrett it's, Kingston is the other name, by the way. He's the Washington State guy? Yes, Jarrett Kingston. Okay. Let's finish up the offense, which means we don't have to talk about running back. <laughs> so it was one of these things where Ryan Day said, if we liked a running back, we'd take him. They liked Mark Fletcher. Miami liked Mark Fletcher better or liked him in a different way. They liked him in a financial <laughs> way, potentially. And listen, we'll get into this later. You can't just say... Ooh, the other school threw a bag at him. That school's bad. It's the way it works. Like, I don't know. Congratulations to Miami. They got a really good running back. Like, we're not. And also, we'll talk about it later. They don't have a running back. But Ryan Day was like, well, Trayvon Henderson, Mayan Williams, Dallin Hayden, Evan Pryor, all back. We might make, make Chip train him a full-time running back. We have to decide that after the season ends. And then, by the way, like Xavier Johnson is a really good football player, and we could make him a full-time running back. So they have four running backs for next year in Henderson, Williams, Hayden, and Pryor. And then they have two more half running backs, Nathan, that they can make full running backs if they need to. So I guess I buy it that I think they would have preferred a running back. And it seemed like they really liked Mark Fletcher and they sure worked really hard on Justice Haynes and Richard Young and some other guys they didn't get. So it wasn't like they said, you know what, Tony, take this cycle off, man. We don't even want a running back. It's easy to say we didn't need one when you didn't get one. But Nathan, when when Ryan Day talked about that running back room, did you think, uh-oh, or did you think, oh, no, they'll be fine for next year, then they better just get a really big – like they did sort of with Trayvon Henderson. They had missed the year before. Then it's like, all right, you better get five stars. They got Trayvon Henderson and Evan Pryor. Are they fine at running back for 2023, and they just got to make sure they make some waves at that position in the next recruiting class? I think they're probably fine for 2023. There are still some moving parts there, though. We assume Mayan Williams is probably coming back. I think, depending on the feedback he gets, there are arguments as to why, if you think you can go to the NFL, maybe now would be the time to go. But assuming both those guys are back, and then you've got Evan Pryor coming back there, but now that's a guy who's going into his third year, and now he's still maybe only third on the depth chart. So where does he sit? Dallin Hayden coming back. So look at all this depth you've gotten. And now you're going all the way down to Dallin Hayden as maybe your fourth guy. But now he's had some success. So does he want to stick around another year as the fourth guy? And what does that mean two years out? And now it's more to me, not as much 2023, uh, barring injury. And that's a tough thing to say because running back injuries were a huge part of the story of this season and still are as we sit here today getting ready to play the playoff. 
barring big injury, they're probably okay for 2023. But what does 2024 look like? And if you don't hit 2024, does it leave a hole that is going to affect how well this team moves the ball in 2024? Not an option to miss in 2024. You think they're going to go to the portal now? You think no, portal no. now? Well, yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe I. I mean, I, I'll throw it out there just because uh, we don't know if Chip Chandler is going to stay in the running back room or not. That that that, that seems like something that might be up to him because they leave those decisions up to the players a lot of the time, even if they do insist where they should go. I think two things can be true. They're fine because they have a lot of depth, but also you wanted two running backs in this class and you got none. So, yeah, you wanted it's, two, it's not like you, yeah, it's not like you wanted one and you didn't get. You wanted two running backs in this class and you got zero. I don't think that can't just be, Oh, we're good. Cause we still have depth. There was but, a reason you wanted two running backs in this class to begin with. You didn't just pull that number out of thin air. But if they gotten two, that would feel a little clunky right now too. Right. That you're bringing in guys um, to be potentially like you're, you're selling a guy and being sixth on the depth chart at running back this year. Well, no, no, I mean, some of that is probably figuring in. Maybe mine has the type of year that he has to go, even if it's like he's only going to be like talking about just for stuff we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Maybe like they were figuring in. Maybe what if Mayan doesn't come back, or you know, stuff happens. So if you have two and then one flips somewhere else, you've still got one. There's a you know, math guy might leave it. A lot of the stuff you just mapped out, they're probably mapping out too for a while, just in case. You know, we end up with we have four right now, but what if we end up with three and we want five in the in the room? So last time that they missed at running back in twenty twenty, they missed on Bijan Robinson, they missed on Jalen Knighton, and they went over. They well, they got Mayan late, right? That was one of the things right, they yeah. did was they got Mayan late in that class, so they actually didn't go over. But then in twenty one, they went hard and they got Trayvon Henderson and Evan Pryor. So like Tony Alford got up off the mat and answered the bell. They've got to answer it in twenty twenty four. Yes. Like if you're if you're making a list of like what do you need in 2024 like five star running back is at the top of the list now, mm-hmm. and we'll try to I don't know if we'll get to it all in this pod we might do a six hour pod. Alabama didn't have a running back and went and got Jameer Gibbs and what did they do They were like I don't know can we find a starter at another decent school that wants to come to Alabama and they got Jameer Gibbs to transfer from Georgia Tech to Alabama and they said you're our starting running back that's Alabama right. So, I mean, that's what you're talking about, Stephen. It's like, we can be like, oh, my God, I can't believe there's a hole. Bama had a hole. Now, the other thing is, and we had this conversation on the College Football Survivor Show this week with Mike Rodak of AL.com. All those transfer guys, they added a bunch of transfer guys in the receiver room. They added their transfer running back. They had a transfer guy on the offensive line. Now, when Bama misses the playoff, now there's people around Bama saying culture problem. Too many mm-hmm. transfers didn't integrate the transfers into the overall. You got too many guys guys coming in. So you can look at Bama and be like, man, if it's good enough for Bama, it should be good enough for Ohio State. You missed on a guy in a recruiting class, fine. Go steal, go get Braylon Allen to come to Ohio State for a year. I don't know, right? Just go find, go steal somebody. But then now Bama doesn't have as good of a year as expected. And the Bama people are saying like, we don't want it. Now we don't want to do that. What are you doing, Nick? You got you to gotta hit better. And now Bama also gets a bunch of high school running backs in this class that Ohio State wanted. So anyway, we had to talk about running back, even though there's nothing to talk about. I think this, Stephen, this guy to me is maybe as interesting as any guy in the class. I don't know. He just His profile just seems a little different than some of the guys that have come through here. Could Jelani Thurman be a really impact tight end in this class? 
Yes, and it's because Cade Stover did what he did this year. Okay. I think we have been on the, why did you throw the ball to Jeremy Rucker, top 100 recruit? Literally, his whole career was that. And they never did it. And it's because the receivers were really good. But if this is like truly a pro-style offense, well, pro-style passing offense, if you've got two wide receivers who get the bulk of the, the yard yardage and the production, and then your next, their third guys usually get tied in, and then your third receiver's under that. That's what this year was. And Jelani Thurman is a 10 times better tight end prospect than like Cade Stover could ever be because he was a linebacker when he got here. So, yeah, I think this year really opened – it has me thinking differently about why would a top 100 tight end come here? Well, he would come here because he can get potentially 35 catches for 500 yards in the right circumstances. And I think the circumstances will play out where Jelani can do that. And to to push him forward, I'm thinking in a world where they love to do 12 personnel stuff. If he's, and we always put it in the Jeremy Rucker, Luke Farrell, you know, pairing and look at it from those lenses. He's Jeremy Rucker and a guy like Bennett Christian is your, is your Luke Farrell. They're blocking inline tight end. And that's a pretty quality pairing for how they want to use no, these guys. No offense. I have not been super excited about the class, the past couple tight end recruiting classes for Ohio yeah. state. Well, that, and then, reasonable. you know, we get into a world where here we are and it's like, okay, well we thought, Oh, we had, uh Oh, we were owing our way through the spring. And then it was like, ah, the linebacker will finally agree to play tight end. And they've got this walk on guy who's like a half fullback, half Minotaur, half tight end, and he'll be our second guy. But they didn't really talk about these other guys that they recruited in the past couple years, right? That's not mm-hmm. – now, they're still young, but, like, nobody was saying, like, oh, ho, ho, that guy. I don't know. Like, uh, Jelani Thurman, I can – it just feel he's the number 99 player overall in this class, and I just think the profile, he's coming out of Georgia. He's the number two tight end, you know, and, and I've, you know, been saying, like, well, I don't know. Why would a tight end who wants to catch the ball come here? And you're you're exactly right, Steven. It's like, well, because maybe you want to look like Cade Stover, who people are calling Baby Gronk for a while. So I think I think Jelani Thurman could be a big hit in this class, Steven. Also, fun fact, just because I mean people are a little bit worried about Michigan stealing guys from well, he's from Michigan. He lives in Georgia, but he's originally from Michigan, was born and pretty much spent most of his life from in Michigan. So that's a I mean, they cry across the border there. But yeah, I, I do think this year really opened the door for anybody who was doubting why a top 100 tight end would come here and now can they build on it or was this just a one-off because they were trying to figure some stuff out after Jackson got hurt if we get to year three with Jelani and he's got 21 catches going into week 10 then we're starting from square one all over again yeah I think he's a good player all right last offensive guy it's 20 guys 10 on offense 10 on defense Lincoln Keenholt I double checked I double checked I watched a whole Nathan I watched an emotional eight-minute segment from oh. South Dakota television a couple months ago about Lincoln Keenholtz, how he was chasing Peer High School in South Dakota, was chasing its sixth straight state championship, got it in November. I didn't even know their state championships were done, but they're done. But it was all about how he's committed to Washington and how Kalen DeBoer, the Washington head coach, grew up in South Dakota and was like, I understand you, Lincoln Keenholz. We are brothers in our South Dakotaness. What? And he had, at that point, his final four in recruiting had been North Dakota State, Wyoming, Wisconsin, and Washington. And he picked Washington because he and Kalen DeBoer had a mind meld. 
And what this guy, he plays shortstop on the baseball team. He shoots three on the basketball team. He's a the three-year starting quarterback. And he was going to leave South Dakota and go to Washington to be in, in wrapped in the swaddling clothes of the warm embrace of a South Dakota head coach in Washington. And then it was like, oh, no, Ohio State offered. He's going there. So I, I don't know if they had to run a retraction, but it is always one of those. And I kind of asked Ryan Day about it. And I think it's like everybody's like, oh, we're trying to hold on to our flips. Everybody's trying to flip our guys. Oh, we're trying to flip our guys. I mean, you mean like you stole right. the South Dakota kid from Washington? Just ripped him away from the arms of Kalen DeBoer? So Lincoln Keen holds, he can move a little bit. He's 6'3", and when you watch his film, it's like when I went to watch Terrell Pryor play Division three high school football in Western Pennsylvania. It was like, well, I guess this guy is good, but he's 18 inches taller than everybody else on the field. And it was like, well, I think Zach Harrison is good in high school, but I think everybody else on his high school team is 5'2". How are you supposed to tell? You watch Lincoln Keenholz. It's not the only guy. But sometimes when we talk about, like, especially instant impact, it's like, well, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Texas high school football is like playing in a semi-pro league. They play football 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. Jackson Smith and Jigba showed up ready. Sometimes people complain that, like, Ohio doesn't have spring football and stuff. He's... No offense offense to South Dakota, but it's like, I don't know what the timetable is of getting Lincoln Keenholz ready. But Nathan, the thing that Ryan Day said, which is more important than my little story, is that he said, like, Lincoln Keenholz came for a visit. It was like, I want this. I want to compete. And Ryan Day loves to tell those stories of like, hey, you're this kid from South Dakota. You want to come compete with Devin Brown? and Kyle McCord and whoever else we have coming next. It's like, I love that kind of thing. So Ryan Day loved that kind of thing. What do we think, what do we make of this quarterback situation that went from kind of nobody to Austin Novosad to Brock Glenn to now Lincoln Keenholz, who I do think is like the 14th rated quarterback in the country. Yeah. I mean, to some extent, if you don't think you're climbing down off of Mount Rushmore and starting year one, wherever you're going to go, like why not go to the place that is known as a QB factory and can develop you? I mean, that's, we've talked about that before, that that's another half of the Ohio state reputation here a little bit. It's not just where, what you can do in house. It's how much better you can be. And then two years down the line, you see an opportunity that makes more sense. And you can take that too. You, you have, as, as Ryan day said today in, um, in relation to something else, like players have more, flexibility they have the flexibility to do kind of whatever they want anymore um and and yeah i i did i did think that was pre- that was funny that at a time where they are so adamantly like up in arms about people coming in trying to poach them they are doing the same whatever you whatever slight you think is happening to your program somebody else thinks you've done it to theirs most likely i but as far as like a backup option here is like a third option and they kind of needed a good third option right i don't this they still had to get somebody of consequence here because we don't know exactly what the timeline between devin brown and kyle mccord is and when this battle gets decided he was asked about that today too that it's it's a bit of an awkward situation you know these two guys are competing you know that whoever doesn't win that job might be inclined to look around and and look for something else and you don't want to get left with just your starter and then a complete question mark like he's experienced that he remembers 2019 and you're they're living on that razor's edge of, of Justin Fields, and they needed something more solid than that. And um, and and this guy is as good of a 
a, a late option as you could probably get. One thing, uh, he's not getting here till June. So unless Ohio State goes portal shopping, there's going to be two scholarship quarterbacks in the spring. So there's going to be plenty of reps to go around in this battle. Uh, I think uh, the ranking is what it is. I think the most interesting thing about Keenholz is, and I'll, I'll pair Devin Brown with this as well. They're in the J in the JJ McCarthy Kyle McCord situation. Ryan Day picked Kyle McCord, who in JJ McCarthy is clearly like the, the runner of the two. And I I want it feels like this time around, if there's a Kyle McCord JJ McCarthy Day's leaning more the JJ McCarthy style from an athletic standpoint because. Devin Brown and Keen Holes both can do stuff with their legs that TJ just can't or does. It's either doesn't or can't or some mixture of both doesn't do. Kyle McCord's no stick, but he's a lot closer to what we've seen with CJ Stroud over the years. Even with Quinn Ewers, he was closer to what CJ Stroud and, and uh, Kyle McCord were. And then Dylan Rayola is just, a, he's a son of a center, so he's big as can be. But it seems like it, he's. It's, some of it seems purposeful. So some of it, this is the guy who was on the board. But I do wonder if Ryan Day is now keeping that in the back of his head as something that he has to have his quarterbacks be able to do. Because it's not something he's had the last two years, and it's been the only kind of backlash on his starting quarterback's game. I do think this is related to the Rayola podcast we already did. To me, this is this quarterback's fine if you yeah. have a five-star quarterback in 2024. So they had a five-star quarterback in 2024, and then I want them to get a quarterback like this. And Ryan Day is like, we don't recruit backups, Doug. We don't recruit backups. He didn't say my name, but I think he looked at me when he said it. They don't recruit backups. They want to bring in you guys who are going to compete to start. I know. Well, I can't. But I'm trying, I tried to ask. I don't know how good of a job I did. I tried to ask, like, Dylan Rayola's decommitment, how much did that factor into anything with your 2023 quarterbacks? Yeah. And I think his answer about Dylan Rayola was, like, not completely. Not completely a hundred percent blindsided. Is that is that the correct read we correct. got on that? Okay. Yeah, not completely shocked. Um, just a combination of a lot of nil. You could take a guy that early, you're at risk of that. So it wasn't completely shocking, but it also wasn't something that listen. They were prepared for options B, C, and D. Just yeah. in case, and that- still going to have to go back to the board a little bit and you know ramp this back up. So and and just I guess enough conversations um in and around the Woody to to maybe believe that um Nebraska Nebraska's a player in that for Dylan Royal yeah. right that 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 if we sort of thought that that maybe maybe that's a correct indication of how mm-hmm. that might shake out down the road. So in the end I do think it's one of those like you know what quarterback and running back they're fine as long as they get a five star at each position in the next class. <laughs> And then they'll be fine if they don't do that, right? I mean, I, I can I rearrange my board for 2024? I think I said number one on the board is five-star running back. That's wrong. Number one on the board is five-star quarterback. And then number two on the board is five-star running back. Can we probably throw in a tackle? Number two on the board is five-star running back. Number three on the board is five-star offensive tackle. Other than and that, the they're fine. It's fine. The funny thing is, by the time we get done going through this class, we might rearrange it a couple more times with some five you know stars. Yeah, five star rush, five star edge rusher. Yeah, five star edge, five star corner. That's all they need. As long as they get a five star quarterback, a five star running back, a five star edge rusher, a five star offensive tackle, and a five star corner in twenty twenty four, then then this class is fine. Yeah. Um, so that's the deal with Lincoln Keen holes. It's funny they. Had, Steven, you had talked about, you wrote about that day when you were there this summer and they had Brock Glenn and Austin Novosad in like a throw off, right? 
And yeah. Austin Novosad was committed to Baylor at that point. He flipped to Oregon on Wednesday because Oregon had lost its quarterback to UCLA in um, Dante Moore because Bo Nix had announced. Home. Well, because Bo Nix said that he was coming back, yeah. and then it was like, oh, well, then I guess I can't start as a freshman, so I'm leaving. So um, Austin Novosad, who wouldn't flip from Baylor to Ohio State, then flipped from Baylor to Oregon, and he, I think, is actually sl- rated slightly higher than uh, he is the number 10 quarterback in this class, Austin Novosad, and uh, Keen Holtz is the number 14. And then Brock Glenn wound up at Florida State. So that was the other guy they were looking at. Brock Glenn's the number 28 quarterback in this class. He was a guy who's actually committed to Ohio State then, right, Stephen, at one point, and then Correct. decommitted in this whole kind of winding path to get to Lincoln Keen Holtz. So, like, it's fine. Ryan Day said they want a guy. They, they want a guy in every class, you know, even though he said it's, it's probably hard to end up with four scholarship quarterbacks just because guys do leave. And I think anytime you have a head-to-head battle with two guys who have been waiting for their chance at the job, I just think if you're a team, right, Nathan, from a team perspective, you have to prepare for the loser to leave. It doesn't mean the loser will leave. But as we always said, if it so happens that the younger guy beats out the older guy, then the older guy is probably leaving. If the older guy beats out the younger guy, maybe the younger guy will stay. But if the younger guy feels like, man, I think I could start this fall, he might go. So Lincoln Keenholds, we're not assuming anything with Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. These are their lives. Devin Brown just put up the thing about I'm not going anywhere. But you have a battle in the spring. And we're just being realistic. Not impossible, Nathan, that true freshman Lincoln Keenholds, well, I actually think he wouldn't be. If somebody left, I think they'd get somebody in. I don't know that they would go with true freshman from South Dakota. Lincoln Keenholds as the backup quarterback for what some have called the greatest college football team of all time in 2023, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Some have said they could be. I don't think a true freshman from South Dakota can be your back, can be one alien abduction away from starting. So they'd bring in a portal guy. Man, no wonder this seems so difficult, Nathan. Ryan Day's head is constantly spinning because quarterbacks can be in and out the door in a stinking turnstile. And they, and again, in the end, guess what? Fortunate and good for Ohio State, good for the quarterbacks. Justin Fields and CJ Stroud have given them two good years each of high-level starting quarterback play, but you just never know. You can feel it from Ryan Day, Nathan. I think at quarterback, recruiting in general, but especially quarterback recruiting, you've got to be prepared for every contingency because you have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, and they would have to do something in the portal, I think. I mean, it's not just a true freshman. It's one who, as Steven said, won't get here till June. Like, you're really exposing yourself at that point. But the thing I would remind people of is, especially if Kyle McCord wins the job, now you're Devin Brown. You're the clear backup on a national championship contender, and you're the heir apparent in position to start year three. Or that's when it becomes a a modified Burrow thing. If it looks, if you get out of the 2023 season and it's clear that Kyle McCord is going to stick around another year, then maybe that's when you look, you know, because you do have someone coming in behind you at that point. But I'm not that, I wouldn't be overly, overly concerned right now about this as an Ohio State fan. Because the worst case scenario is that Devin Brown in his second year has accelerated to the point that he mm-hmm. beats out Common Core to head to head, which means he's pretty damn good already, right? So that's like your worst case scenario, really, right now. And it does leave you thin in that room. The other thing I would bring up, and I, I was thinking about this in relation to 
another discussion we were having another position you know trey sermon came here in the spring the the portal does open up again in the spring and there's a whole new dynamic of guys in the spring who have been beaten out for jobs and if you're talking about depth if you're talking about people who might just need a one-year spot uh that's something to keep in the back of your mind that there could be some additions later on in the spring so places like right now offensive line cornerback if especially a cornerback it seems like nothing's really happening for Ohio State at least not that we've that I've heard and that anything publicly is leaked out about um, that maybe that's something to revisit in the spring. And the same thing could happen at quarterback because just as Ohio state would be having a guy losing a battle and leaving, maybe, maybe somebody else would too. You know what they could do? They could welcome Jack Miller back because they Florida just brought in mm. Graham Mertz. Just welcome him. I can't bring him back. It's like the Thanos. Uh, and where did that leave you? I it can't. You can back you imagine? It is. Gainesville is going to be fire this spring, replacing <laughs> replacing Anthony Richardson with the Jack Miller Graham Mertz winner is they're going to be, the swamp is going to be lit. It's the battle of the noodles, but no, I, I will agree with, with <laughs> I, will, I, I will agree with noodles. Nathan on the, uh, the Devin Brown, Kyle McCord winning the job this year and Devin Brown being the backup is still the plan that was mapped out for Devin Brown. So at least the part is, he at least won't feel like he's lied to if he doesn't win the job this year. And so it does give him more reason to want to stick around and just be a backup to Kyle McCord while it's, it'd be shocking if Kyle McCord sticks around to be a backup another year. I'm all for the yeah. battle of a noodle. Okay. Maybe we can drive down and cover that in the spring. Um, okay. I don't know about all that. 10 guys on offense. I thought that'd go like 20 minutes. It went 56. So we'll see what happens. We got a million things to talk about. We'll try to get to them all next on Buckeye Talk. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, let's do defensive line, Stephen. We'll start there. Ryan Day uh, was asked like, hey, you didn't get any edge guys in this class. And he was like, no, no, we did. And there's just, I, I, this was the kind of thing that helps like clear things up. So um, Joshua Mickens is the guy who committed to Ohio State on signing day from Indiana. It mm-hmm. was like, is he more of an outside linebacker? And, but Ryan Day's like, no, we think of him as an edge guy. And then also Jason Moore, some idea of like, is he more interior? Or is he more edge? Ryan Day brought him up. So there's four defensive linemen. But how, how do we think this shook out? Because again, when we get to the guys they didn't get, this is a place where they didn't get a lot. What about who they did get on the defensive line, Stephen? So I'll go from lowest to highest just because it's like easier to talk about what they're going to be, actually. Caden McDonald, the number 278 player, the number 38 defensive lineman, he's a nose. He is, think Taliq Williams type of body type, bigger dude who's quick off the ball. And if it hits, it hits. But it's like, okay, can it get consistent? Can he get in shape? That's the best way to describe him. Will Smith, the son of former All-American and a member of the 2002 National Championship team, Will of the same name, he has really improved a lot over the past 10 months. Ryan Day raved about that. Of all the things Ryan Day said, that was like one of the most interesting things, Stephen, the way he talked about Will Smith's leap and what they asked him to do and what he did. 
Yeah, because he camped a lot in 2021, I believe it was. And they, by the time he was done, it was like, listen, you got to do X, Y, and Z and all that stuff. We're not just going to give you this offer because you're an Ohio kid with a dad who went here. You're not good enough to play here. He was in the 400s, I think, even when he committed. He was not good enough to play here at all. And he spent that whole year really improving on a lot of his stuff. And then he finally earned an offer in the fall later that year, committed, I think, the same day as the Super Bowl in 2022. And then this summer, he had another great year of just physical development. He camped every single time and really improved and then had a breakout senior year. And now he's mid 200s, the number 263 player, number 36 of the defensive lineman. He can play. I wasn't, when he first committed, it's like this is a dude who might just get lost at the end of the, you know, death chart. I think he can actually play here now, which they also believe. It went from okay, you're good enough to earn an offer to okay, you're actually good enough to maybe get in the two deep in year two or year. Ty Hamilton type of development there, which I mean, Ty Hamilton year three, he's in the two deep. That's the type of development you should see from him. Joshua Mickens, he is listed as an edge rusher. He is the closest thing we've seen to Ohio State recruiting for the jock position as that standing outside linebacker where he can drop, do all the stuff that we've kind of seen Jack do. He's the first recruit that we're seeing it. So I understand they kind of barked back. Yeah, he's an edge rusher. Well, that's because most of the guys we've seen play the Jackson position so far have started out on the edge. He's going to maybe because he's starting as a Jack from day one. How does that change his development? Is he with Larry Johnson all the time? Does he spend more time with Jim Knowles? How does that work out with a kid like that? Because they brought him in here with that position in mind. And really this 23 class was the first time they were recruiting anybody with that position in mind. Cause there was a kid who ended up at Clemson. His name is AJ Hoffler. They were recruiting him under the same guys. Uh, and then Jason Moore. He is listed at 255. His mom actually reached out to me and said that's wrong. He's 275. So he is a three-tech Mike Hallish, but he can play on the edge like we've seen Mike Hall do when they do go with the jack. But he's going to be a defensive tackle three-tech type of guy. So so there's not like a Chase Young, right? It's sort of like not the two team. guys are the edge guys. One's like a – a heavy edge three tech ones like a stand up Jack guy. The one thing Correct. is I'm curious in the end, what they'll want from the Jacks, because you see Jack Sawyer, it, they do Jack Sawyer has his hand on the ground, like a, like a four, three edge guy at times mm-hmm. also. And so is that because that's what Jack was before they made him a stand up guy also, do they kind of want to demand that from all of their Jack guys that listen, we don't want to give anything away. You need to also be able to play with your hand on the ground. And so then that's why Ryan day would say, well, he's an edge guy. Because he's mm-hmm. got to have his hand on the ground sometimes, but he also has the ability to stand up and that kind of thing. We'll get into this with some of the misses they had. This is not a typical Ohio State defensive line class. This is just it's just no, not. And we know why, because we know the guys they went after and didn't get. So we'll save some of that discussion for that. Nathan, corner is just another big deal here. It's where they had a flip away to Auburn. Kay and Lee, right, flipped to Auburn on signing day. Steven had been kind of saying that was a possibility all along. It wasn't, again, I don't think anybody was shocked by it, but they wind up right with two corners in this class, but it does. They feel like two possibly super interesting. Do I have the right character? Steven, do I have the right characterizations or any of these safety guys actually corners, or is it really two corners to talk about? No, it's two corners. The only one who might be a safety is Cedric, but he's more nickel. So the only two outside corners are Jermaine and, Calvin. Okay, so Calvin Simpson Hunt, who they flipped away from Texas Tech, and Jermaine Matthews, who 
was an Ohio guy, um, and and Ryan Day talked about him, earned the offer. These both seem like some big upside guys because I think they're like super interesting athletes. And are they top fifty national recruits? Are they Jeff Okuda? No, but I don't know, Nathan. I think they would have liked more here. But I think the two guys they got are potentially very interesting. Yeah, I, again, I don't know if either of these guys are, are day one major impact guys. They are going to need someone sooner than later, right? Because you're entering a situation where this this group of Burke and Hancock and Johnson are all going to be third-year players next year. Like, how quickly that happens. Like, Denzel Burke is like, you know, a, a overnight sensation as a freshman starter. That seems like not that long ago that we were at TCF Bank Stadium watching that happen. And now next year, it's the countdown for the third year. And, like, those guys are uh, definitely on, on, on radar of, like, if it hits next year, I mean, cornerback's such a position of need that those guys might be on their way out. So they did. You do have some other guys who have come in here um, in, in the last group, and and uh, Brown and Turner both got some time on the the field this year. But um, they're going to need one of these guys. Not so much this coming year, maybe. Although again, from a depth standpoint, it would help. But I think by twenty twenty four, one of these guys needs to probably be a big part of the conversation, um, and is is proving himself at the Big Ten level. Both listed at six foot one seventy five. Calvin Simpson Hunt, the number seventy nine overall player by two four seven Sports. Jermaine Matthews, the number one thirty six overall player. I just like the Jermaine Matthews story. Worked his butt off. Ryan Day's telling the story on Wednesday. Came to a camp, super hot. Kept working, kept working. Stephen, you said you saw it. It was as an impressive sort of a camp performance as you've seen, and. I don't know if you get bonus points for him being an Ohio kid, but he's an Ohio came who, kid who came in and busted it, earned the offer, and then rose up the recruiting boards after he was already committed to Ohio State, but Ohio State got in on him first, so they weren't having to try to flip him late. They they showed him the love when he earned the spot at camp, and it's just, I think, I don't know. like If, the, if Jermaine Matthews' career mirrors, mirrors how he earned the offer, I think it's a very such, good situation for program and player. And we've seen that with Terry McLaurin and Darren Lee, two guys who they kind of had to work for their offer as Midwest guys, one of which was a Columbus guy and Darren Lee. They had to work for him, but then they finally got him. And now look at their, I mean, Darren Lee was a first round draft pick and part of a, a vital part of a national championship team. And Terry McLaurin was a captain here and one of the callous for what the wide receiver room is today. And he's, he got paid this past off season. So pretty good spots for both of those guys. I think they got two dudes some real dudes who have a very good chance of outplaying their ranking, which is saying a lot because Calvin Simpson hunts a top 100 recruit. So I mean, by year two, he should be ready to go. And I think he might, these two guys are going to push Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock and JK Johnson and Jair Brown to kind of show up for the moment this spring. But I, I'm, I'm, as I kind of evaluate the jobs that the assistant coaches did in recruiting their room, I think Tim Walton had a pretty quality cycle given the circumstances that a lot of the top tier five stars, he was never going to be able to get just because the dude got hired in January. And the only guy that they could have gotten as a five-star recruit was AJ Harris. And that went out the window the moment Kerry Combs was no longer on the staff. So I think given the circumstances that Tim Walton had to work with, he wouldn't flip the dude 
from Texas Tech who ended up being a top 100 recruit in Calvin Simpson Hunt. And then he went and found a dude and convinced him to prove he was a dude. And he got them both in the, in the, in the class. And he's got two guys to kind of, you know, now let's see what he can do in 2024. But I think this is a good building point for Tim Walton as a recruiter for a guy who hasn't done it in over a decade. And Calvin Simpson Hunt, that flip, Brian Day gave Tim Walton credit for that relationship on mm-hmm. Wednesday to go in and build that relationship and to get a Texas guy to leave a Texas school to come up to Columbus. Um, and again, they lost a guy on signing day. So only two corners. Steven Arvell Reese is the one linebacker in this class, right? I'm not missing anything. One linebacker. That is correct. And Tackett Curtis, I follow enough USC writers. Lincoln Riley was talking about how they thought Tackett Curtis was the best linebacker in this class. And they were excited to get Tackett Curtis. And Jim Knowles was living in Louisiana for a while, trying to get Tackett Curtis. They wind up with Arvell Reese. My Cleveland.com-ness comes out the most when we talk about Glenville guys. I can't help it. It's what I was weaned on early in my Ohio State. When you come, your work for the Cleveland, Cleveland.com didn't exist back then. You get hired by the Cleveland Plain Dealer. And in 2005, it's like, oh, no, who are the good guys for Ohio State? Or it's like, oh, this, this guy, Troy Smith and Ted Ginn Jr. They were high school teammates. It's like, And then the next year, one guy's the fastest guy in the country and one guy wins the Heisman. And you're the Cleveland writer and they're from Cleveland and they're from Glenville. And it's like, all right, well, Ted Ginn Sr., let's ride with this. And then the Glenville pipeline, holy moly. So there we start. Glenville wins first state championship this year. Congratulations to Ked, Ted Ginn Sr. and that entire program. And here's Arvell Reese. And I liked it, Stephen. It's like I knew I was going to ask about Glenville, guys. I like it when Ryan Day says, Ted Ginn Sr. calls and says, I got a guy. And like when Ted Ginn Sr. calls and says, I got a guy for you, Ryan Day saying, you better listen. There had been a stretch there. That was like a big thing because Ted Ginn Sr. and Jim Tressel are like brothers. And when Urban Meyer came in and Urban Meyer went more national, it was like, if Ted Ginn Sr. called, was Ohio State going to have room for as many Glenville guys? Mm-hmm. And then Ted had some health issues and things just happened a little yep. bit. And now it's just – so in a world, it's like, I don't know what you – I'm not going to write. Things are getting more difficult for Ohio State recruiting. And it's like Ryan Day sitting in his office and being like – in the movie, it's like, oh, man, this recruiting stuff is driving me crazy. Ring, ring, ring. And it's Senior. And Senior's like, Ryan – I got a guy for you. And it's like Ted Ginn Sr. to the rescue again. Like it's back. Right when Ohio State, the recruiting process is is being splintered by NIL, Ted Ginn Sr. tells Ryan Day, I rebuilt the pipeline. Let's start it. Not to put too much on Arvell Reese. Let's restart. He's a good player. I could see him. I could see him fitting into what they want to do from a linebacker standpoint. Maybe I'm too excited that a Glenville guy is going to be a Buckeye. For starters, you were in the makings of a pretty good senior um, impression there. I, you just like did, you didn't dedicate yourself to it. You weren't committed. I, wanna, to it. I mean, I I used to talk to senior a lot. I haven't talked to him as much yeah. lately. I haven't talked to him in a while, so I, I that's why. But um, I mean, I've been in. I mean, you you know, I've been in like in locker room speeches when Ted Ginn yeah. seniors giving it to the special guys. Guy, and it's like, is th- what is better than this? So like the, that guy that that program and that guy won a state championship is uh, yeah. that was good for the city tremendous. Of and Jim Trestle would not be Jim Trestle without Ted Ginn Sr. And Jim Trestle and knows that. To the point, a Sr. might be sending a grandson down here, depending on what Bryce West decides to do with the 2024 class as a five-star corner. But there's a lot there with the Arvell Reese story, and uh, it's something I've been kind of working on in the background. He had just gotten to Glenville maybe a month before uh, Sr. made that call. 
this is just some little background information. There, there was a lot that Arvell had kind of gone through to get to that point, to get back to Glenville and get back in a situation where this was even possible for him. A lot had to collide there. Uh, his dad played for Gymnos at one point. So that relationship was able to get kind of strong very quickly there. Arvell Reese's dad played for Jim Knowles? Jim Knowles is old. Where did he play for him? I can't remember off the top of my head what school, but I'm, it was – That's crazy. Was, That's good yeah. info. So they are – yeah, they are had already started having this uh, – a bit of a relationship. So big pickup, and it's going to have some payoff over the next couple of cycles because to your – you just kind of mentioned it. Senior had had some health problems. So it was it, – it, some of it is Urban Meyer with Nashville, but also Glenville and really Ohio talent in general. It just wasn't as rich in this state at the time. It feels like that's coming back. Glenville's coming back, but then also the state over the last couple of years here has gotten more rich in talent. So you can maybe stay a little bit more home. Now they might have to because, you know, the world of recruiting is changing, but all of this is colliding together. And it feels like Arvell Reese is kind of the jump off point because he's the collision of those two worlds. But with that being said, to your point, this is an in-state guy who dreamed of playing for Ohio State his whole life, and this is the only linebacker they got. And it goes more into the point of Jim Knowles isn't known as a recruiter, and this is more proof of that because this is no – with all that being said, this is cool. This is what Al Washington has been doing with the linebacker room is getting the Ohio guys for the past three years. So the only difference it- is your linebackers go to also now cause plays. If Al Washington had presented this linebacker group on signing day, we would have been fricasseeing Al Washington. Yep. You got one linebacker, and it's a Glenville guy. Yep. You literally, Ted Ginn Sr. will drive him to your house and make him commit to you. That's how you get a Glenville linebacker. What else did you do for this entire recruiting cycle? And I guess what Jim Knowles did is sit in his room and diagram plays for the defense, but – he spent a lot of time on Tackett Curtis, and it, and it didn't work. And again, Tackett Curtis, he's from Louisiana. He went to USC. It wasn't geographic. It's like, what? I, he, they're going to play against Tackett Curtis. So, and that was like his guy. So, you know, if you're going to be the linebackers coach and not be just the defensive coordinator, he wanted to be the linebackers coach. Jim Knowles did. Then you got to recruit like the linebackers coach. So it's kind of fortuitous that they only play two linebackers, and they have like 17 linebackers in the linebacker room right now. So – you know, I guess they're okay, but um, I, but this was a little short. Tommy Eichenberg's a second team All American and probably should have been a finalist for a buckets award. Steel Chambers is pretty good. I need to see payoff from what you just did with Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers in 2024 because you're yeah. going to upgrade because eventually you're going to upgrade them with a CJ Hicks five star, Gabe Powers, borderline top 100 recruit, Reed Carrico. So the talent is going to keep rising. I need to see you have that. That You can't put that out on the field every Saturday and then not pay off by getting more dudes who want to come do that. No, I agree. All right, last spot is safety. Nathan, this is th- something that Ryan Day talked about. And again, we're just obviously everybody's aware of this, but like as your team changes, as your scheme changes, your recruiting changes. So they had to go recruit safeties because they play three safeties now. So guess what? You need to recruit safety. You don't need as many linebackers. You need a lot of safeties. They got three safeties in this class. Malik Hartford's an in-state guy. Cedric Hawkins, who had been committed forever. And then Jaden Bonsu. This is Perry Eliano. This is Perry Eliano, who brought a lot of juice from Cincinnati where he got here. He coached corners at Cincinnati. He's coaching safeties here. What do we think of this safety group, Nathan? 
I mean, there's there's some solid guys in here, but as with a lot of positions, you know, where is is the top end impact there? And we know who they were searching for for top end impact from this class. We'll talk about that and the guys that got away, I guess. But you know, they they targeted those guys and couldn't quite land it, and that was the story of the 2022 signing class as well that they targeted some big time safeties and couldn't stick the landing on those and you know Jim Knowles has called this a safety driven defense so I like what they've got here in terms of depth and possibly you know these guys could turn into starting caliber guys I mean if if if, if you told me that um uh, Malik Hartford could be the next Ronnie Hickman or Lathan Ransom I mean some of those guys weren't you know, obviously five really star five star prospects. You know what I mean. So th- that can happen. But again, you're talking about difference makers, and I don't know if there's an obvious one out of this group right now. It's going to have to be someone who develops into that three years from now. The highest rated guy is the in-state guy, Malik Hartford. He's the number one sixty-three overall player, the number eleven safety. He's an Ohio guy. Then Jaden Bonds, who from New Jersey, he's the number twenty-three safety, number two seventy player. Cedric Hawkins. From Florida, number 25 safety, number 282 player. I do think, Stephen, the idea of like safety-driven defense, I don't know. Maybe it would have enticed a top 10 safety to come here to come play in a safety-driven defense for one of the four playoff teams. I don't know. I, I, I don't think it would have been unreasonable. And again, we'll talk about Caleb Downs in a minute. But this should be a place that attracts – Now, if you're telling me, hey, it's hard to recruit linebackers when – you know, we're kind of like, like maybe we're not a linebacker, but safety driven defense. I think, I think it's not unreasonable that maybe the expectation that safety was higher for this class, Steven. I want to also Sonny style should be in this class. So that would raise the ceiling a little bit more. That's true. The, the point that he's here yeah. earlier than expected. Yeah. I do think this one's hard because there's so much of why this class is not better that we're saving for another segment. Um, I thought, yeah, I, I think you're allowed Malik to talk Hart- about you're allowed to talk about Caleb Downs right now if you want to. You're allowed to talk. Okay, about cool. Caleb Downs. I, if Caleb Downs is in this class, it's, it's irrelevant what's going on with the other safeties because there was so much riding on. Can Perry Eliano come in here and at a school where he's got every single resource in the world? That I think that dude can recruit at a school like that. Can he pull a kid like Caleb Downs? And it feels like there was a chance for that to happen. But the the reality we now live in, which is NIL, prevented that from being the case. And so it throws off the conversation of, is Perry Eliotto really a good recruiter? Because he might be a really good recruiter. You know, but, you know, sometimes the checkbook is not big enough for you to well, close the close the deal. But but even when you're even without the checkbooks, when you're competing against Alabama for five star guys, sometimes you finish second. And there's other teams out there when they're competing against Ohio State for five-star guys. Sometimes they do a really good job recruiting them and just finish second. Like you know, you, that's why you've got to have a lot of lines in the uh, pond or however you want to say it. Okay, so that's what we want to talk about. We wanted to talk about the 20 guys that are going to be Buckeyes because it's by average star rating the third best class in the country. We just we can't come on here and moan and complain and talk about the misses. I mean, it would be insane. It's not. It's not. They're, they have good players that are going to help Ohio State be a good program. But stuff's changing, and stuff affected this recruiting class. And we all know that, and we'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Nathan and Stephen Back. If you'll be a tech subscriber, 614-350-3315. Oh, I do have texter. Let's do that first. It's going to be a long pod. I did a texter survey, and I want to get your reactions 
to these texter votes because this is how people are feeling uh, about this group and this matters to us. On a one to 10 scale, how would you rate your feelings about Ohio State's 2023 recruiting class? 10 is great, one is bad. That was a 6.31, Stephen. Then I said, how would you rate your feelings about Ohio State's recruiting in previous years? I'm trying to get a feel for now versus the recent past. 10 is great, one is bad. That was an 8.26, Stephen. So the, the level of satisfaction with Ohio State's class this year is two points lower than the general vibe in previous classes. Is that appropriate? Is that, is that, does that seem like, and people could, we can't tell people how to feel. I didn't tell you like, analyze it like an algorithm. I said, how does it make you feel? It's a two point drop, Steven. That's not nothing. It makes total sense. And I think if I was a fan, it'd be a two point drop in my head too. And is that a two point drop based on five stars? Like where are, there are not enough superstars in this class. Yeah. You said again, for the 50th time, it's the third class by average star rating, but I want more. Chase Young's. I want more Garrett Wilson's. And that's what I'm accustomed to at Ohio State. And it's short there. Yeah, there's not because the star rating thing is cool, but you got to go look at that and you got to have one of us explain that to you. Like my average friend's not looking at that stuff, man. They just see five star, five star, four star, four star. And then, then once you give the context, whatever that context is, it's the context has not been helping ease anybody's pain. Okay. Here's the next question. And again, we're just trying to get in the crevices a little bit here, Nathan. I'm not saying this is a perfect way to do it. What do you think is the biggest issue with Ohio State's class of 2023 recruiting? So the recruiting is good. There is no issue. That only got 4%. I I don't want to make people have an issue if they don't have an issue. But no, people were happy to have an issue. So 4% said there's no issue. The only other two choices were The only issue relates to NIL. That is just NIL. That's keeping Ohio State from being what it had been before. And then the other choice was there are some NIL issues, plus there are some issues with Ryan Day and the assistants getting it done. Nathan, what do you think one of those two choices, just NIL or NIL plus stuff? Um, which one won? I think, I mean, right now, the way that that things are being discussed, it wouldn't surprise me if, if people thought it was just NIL. That people thought that if if that weren't an issue, Ohio State would have maybe the three or four holes that we see here filled, and and maybe they're not wrong because if Caleb Downs were here and Mark Fletcher were here, we'd be talking about this class differently. We just would. Stephen, what do you think it is? Just nil or nil plus? I think nil plus. It's nil plus two to one. Nil mm. plus is sixty five percent, and just nil is thirty one percent. And so I do think we are in an interesting spot. And this happens when you have staff transition. And you explained it, Stephen. Tim Walton comes in late, right? Justin Fry, he came in late. He got the in-state guys. But you weren't building a full year of relationships with these other guys. Mm -hmm. So Perry Aliano, Tim Walton, Jim Knowles, Justin Fry, all in year one. All, you know, we saw what they did. I think you need, I think, across the board, you know, I think across the board, need the level raised in the class of 2024 at those four positions. I think that's not unreasonable. Brian Hartline, still killing it. Quarterback recruiting, Lincoln Kineholtz loved Corey Dennis. That mattered. They got to go get a five-star that sticks in the class of 2024. Tony Alford's got to fill that running room back up. Got to fill the running room back up. 
And then Parker Fleming, I guess he got a walk-on kicker from Kent State, so he did his job. He's fine. So I do think, Nathan, right, I do think it is fair in a world. And then Larry Johnson, still Larry Johnson, but it just is didn't he? cash out the same. Well, let's, let's sit, put a pin on that for one yeah, more. Because I do think if Larry Johnson's not Larry Johnson anymore, like it's not Larry Johnson's fault. It's just that. You know, Bill Belichick's 70, and people are wondering if Bill Belichick's still yeah. Bill Belichick. Tom Brady's 45. Like, if Larry Johnson is not Larry Johnson, we know why, and then that's a very difficult discussion. But I think it's – I think, Nathan, it's okay. And, and Kerry Combs, again, it's just a very difficult situation with Kerry Combs where he was so good at the thing he did. He didn't get a promotion, so he left, and he came back with a promotion, and he wasn't good at that. But the thing that he did before, he was so good at. And so it's like, all right, Tim Walton, recruit corners like Kerry Combs. That's all you got to do. God, that guy was cranking out first records like crazy. Can you imagine? And I know Texas was down and they went in and plucked. If they if there was a Jeff Okuda in this corner class, and Calvin Simpson Hunt might be close. It's a top 100 recruit. But I don't know. I think that's what people, when they say it's NIL plus, I think they're wondering, we got to make sure we got to have we got to have a staff full of, of assistants that can convert. And I don't think that's unreasonable to have questions about that while also having the NIL discussion. No, I think it's reasonable. And again, like things are colliding here a little bit. I mean, the NIL conversation is very in this moment and looking forward. And then you also have, and I know they're playing in the playoff, but you know, you have the, um, or is the, are things happening on the field at the level they need to happen at and how much of that is, is, translates to recruiting misses that were already happening and yes some of these guys have turned over but they turned over in part in a couple of cases because the guy that they replaced wasn't recruiting well enough so i, I think there you it's yeah fair or not you've, you've got to go out there and prove yourself kind of every every year and if you don't prove yourself in a given year then you really have to go hit it in the next year, as we've already talked about with a couple of positions. And I think that's completely fair because that's, at the end of the day, what this is. It's player acquisition. It's not all development. It's not all player acquisition, but player acquisition is huge. You've got to be able to identify that talent. You've got to be able to to get it to come to Ohio State at at some regularity because that's what you're ultimately going to be judged on. Is it still fair, Stephen, in the NIL world, to ask assistants to go win big battles for national guys without connections. Jeff Halfley went and would have had we, Clark Phillips would have been here because Jeff Halfley would have gotten him mm-hmm. here. You mentioned that AJ Harris might've been here. If Kerry Combs was still on this staff, is that still a reasonable ask of assistance at a place like Ohio state in this world? For some it is not for everybody. And I'll split it up. I think it wouldn't have been fair to ask Perry to do that with Caleb. It wouldn't have been fair for Tim Walton to have to do that with like a, Cormand and McLean had I been considering Ohio State in a real way, it probably it was never going to be fair to ask Justin Fry, "Hey, go get Caden Proctor." When that relationship just didn't exist, and that was Caden Proctor shut the door on that before Justin Fry could even knock on it. So that was probably not fair. And Jim Knowles has never been known as a recruiter. So, and then uh, Parker Fleming doesn't help on the recruiting trail. So that's already two assistants who aren't helping you on the recruiting trail, but that's how this staff is set up. So you take that for what it is. Larry Johnson, you just said it. He's Larry Johnson. And I don't see why if Brian Hartline can do it, why can't he do it? Especially since his reputation 
is 20 times longer in terms of resume than what Brian Hartline's is right now, just because he's older. Now that might be because he's older and his approach and some of the way he goes about it maybe doesn't work anymore. And you can't choose your old dog, new tricks. It might be some of that, but it's, I, I think we, we used to hold Brian Hartline. We were starting to hold Brian Hartline to the Kerry Combs, Larry Johnson standard. And it feels like now I'm sitting here trying to hold Larry Johnson to the Brian Hartline standard. And I don't know if that's fair or not, but that's where I'm at with it because I'll even bring Tony Alford into this because on paper, those are their three best recruiters, Brian Hartline, Larry Johnson, and Tony Alford, because they can lock down their own room. But then also those are the guys that you send out there to help with everybody else's room. Mark Fletcher and Brandon Ennis are from the same school. So, you know, if you don't, if you think Miami wasn't offering whatever they were offering Mark Fletcher, but 10 times that because it's Brandon Ennis, you're crazy. Brandon Ennis was dealing with all that as well. And he didn't flip. He signed. You know, uh, uh, Carnell Tate, we just got done talking about how Tennessee and LSU were, that was a twist and a turn. Still ended up at Ohio State. Noah Rogers had a little NC State thing for a little bit. He still ended up at Ohio State. So if we're going to, if those are the got three guys where it's like, oh, they get guys because they're those guys and only one guy did it, Brian Hartline did his job this cycle. Larry Johnson didn't do his job. Uh, Tony Offer didn't do his job. And I'll even say Corey Dennis do, did his job as well because his job wasn't to go get the five-star this year. It was go get a quarterback who's at least decent. And he did that twice. So of the returning staff members who probably should have been carrying in the load because of some of the obstacles that were going to be there for the new guys, Brian Hartline and Corey Dennis are the only two that did their job. And then shout out to Keenan Bailey for saving what could have gone crazy with Jelani Thurman because Auburn was trying to flip him, especially once uh, Kevin Wilson got hired. But that had been going on well before that. So shout out to him for over the last two weeks making sure nothing crazy went there. But more importantly, Brian Hartline and Corey Dennis did their job and the other returning staff members didn't. And I think people understand that. You don't just recruit your guys. You don't just recruit your room. You also have geographic connections. You help on other guys. Tony Alford, you know, it's one of those things like, oh, they didn't get a running back recruit. It doesn't mean Tony Alford didn't recruit anybody Correct. in this group because you're helping on stuff. So I don't think that's unfair. And I do think Brian Hartline, right, identifies his guys early and then mm-hmm. says, do you want to come here or not? If the answer is no, I'm going to go get somebody else, right? That's yeah. kind of the Hartline thing. Larry Johnson, like Larry Johnson was a closer. Right, like Tyreek Smith, Larry Johnson, mm-hmm. Penn State was all after Tyreek Smith, and Larry Johnson went and closed him. I do feel like maybe in the new world is the best closer NIL money. So if your strategy, if your strength as a recruiter is I close guys late, maybe that's going to be tougher to do because yeah. maybe the strategy of I build the relationships early and then the whole time. You're my guy. You're my guy. You're my guy. You're my guy. We're not closing anything. We're building. We're strengthening what we already have mm-hmm. as opposed to, I mean, it was like Tyreek Smith, Penn State was all after him. Then like Larry Smith or Larry Johnson, like went to his high school basketball game and sat in the front row and like, that was it. And it was like, oh, okay. That was it. And maybe he tried to do that in this. They had, they were on a bunch of five-star edge guys at the end. But if you're sitting in the front row of the high school basketball game and next to you is a guy with a big bag of money, yeah. It doesn't matter how good you close. I don't know. I just don't know if that kind of – we're asking – you know, Jeremy Birmingham asked a lot of questions like this. You asked questions like this, Stephen, like the strategy, the strategy. What's changing in the strategy? What's changing in the strategy? Is there a strategy of like if you like a guy even more than ever – like Ryan Day saying 
you don't sometimes you go early on the quarterbacks. Like they lost Dylan Rayola because they went really early on him. But mm-hmm. if you don't go early and you try to close late, you're is it just a checkbook race? And then if you can't win the checkbook race, you needed to be in there at the jump. I don't know how much the strategy might have changed, Steven. The, there's a balance to it. And I'm the heart the, the heartline and, and Larry Johnson are just so interesting because their approaches are so different. They both identify early, but they don't always close at the same time. And so with Larry Johnson, it can very much feel like when it works, it works. It gets you Chase Young, right? It gets you Nick Bosa. It gets you JT Tuimoloau. I mean, that's the ultimate, I'm going to stick with you, I'm going to stick with you, I'm going to stick with you. But when it doesn't work, it can look like, dude, you locked in on this guy and you, you should have maybe costed a wider net. And when you don't get they, – they, they locked in on three five-star edge rushers thinking – if we get one, that's great. If we get two, awesome. If we get three, whoo, that's a knockout apart. Okay, but what if you get none of them? Then what are you left with? Like, I don't know. You have to think about that part of the, 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 the dynamic now, maybe more than ever, because you're right. The closing thing is I've got a bag of money that's bigger than their bag of money. And so is it – and so the question is, I think it's very clear, does Larry Johnson need to change his approach or not? The answer to that question is yes. Bagman have made that legal bagman have made that that answer for you. The question is, can he and will he? Because if not, we're they are at risk of this happening again. Or it could just be a one-off, and whoever the next JT Toy Maloa in the 2024 class is, he locks in. But now we've seen the other side of that. And as a fan, you're probably a little worried that this isn't going to be the last time it happens. All right, let's run through the last of these text. Uh, survey questions and we'll get to some of the guys they missed on. Um, should Ohio State and the Ohio State Collectives do whatever it takes to pay high school recruits the going rate to get the best high school players to come to Ohio State? I gave a yes and then two different no answers. Yes got 60%. So that's the bottom line. 60% yes, 40% no. Why of your no? I said no. Philosophically, I'm fine with the idea of Ohio State going hard to pay high school guys, but I don't think big money for high school recruits will prove to be the best strategy, which is kind of the thing, Nathan, that we were talking about of like, all right, are guys going to maybe take the money out of high school and then be ready to transfer and think about football? I think that's fans thinking about that strategy and not wanting to get into that. And then 10% said, I just don't like playing high school players. I don't think it's the it's the right thing to do, even because it's not, again, by the NCAA rules, it's not supposed to be legal. They just don't enforce it. So that was one of those. And then the other two were, how do you feel about following recruiting as a fan? 45% said, I used to love it, but it's more complicated now and not as fun. So that's just real. 37% said, I still love it. 18% said, I just kind of worry about the players when they show up. That's almost half who kind of used to love it and don't love it as much anymore. And again, that's just the real world. I think that's doesn't mean it should change, but I understand why it's difficult for fans. This overall, Nathan, which best describes your, your view about the future of Ohio State recruiting? I'm worried about the future of Ohio State recruiting because of NIL. 41% said that. That was like the least positive answer. That was the most like on alert answer, led the poll. Slight dip, but I think they'll be fine, 28%. They've recruited like a champion. They'll keep recruiting like a champion, 18%. I'm worried about the future for reasons other than NIL, 10%. 
and recruiting won't matter as much because of the transfer portal is 4%. So kind of bottom line is like 51% Nathan were worried. 51% worried. Do you think like that idea, it's not as fun, 45%. I'm worried, 51%. Normally National Signing Day at a place like Ohio State is almost all celebration. For real, mostly all. We wanted to start this pod with a celebration. Hey, here's some really good players who are going to be on the field playing for your favorite team. And now here at the end, we're talking about almost half say it's not as fun as it used to be, and more than half say they're worried about what's going to happen with Ohio State, man. It's a tough world out there. I understand why the sport has changed. Players, I think, deserve to be paid. But man, the, the NCAA, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's the ruination of college football, but they got to get a handle on this stuff. Because it is frustrating and confusing, I think, for almost everybody involved. You felt the vibe today of Ryan Day kept trying to steer it to celebration, right? You got a lot of questions about NIL. From me, I used my questions about NIL. I got other questions, and it a lot of it came back to, well, these guys that we're signing today, that's, you know, they made their decision for their for other reasons. And, you know, they, they're gonna have NIL opportunities too, but they weren't taking the fast money, that sort of thing. And I I get that. But it definitely, you could just feel, because we've been hearing it around that, that building for a couple weeks now, that this closing stretch before signing day, that usually is, right? It's like the runway in the takeoff. It's like, it's, you've already got a pretty good class together. And now are you going to like hammer home these last couple guys that are going to like blow people's hair back and be like, wow, look at this class they put together. And instead, this time it was like really fighting hard battles that they didn't think that they could win in some cases because of the NIL component. And that, that changed how much of a celebration today was. So I'm sure that there's probably some uh, segment of the fan base that could sense that too, could feel it. And it changes again, like you signing day and recruiting is something you root for not that differently than the way that you recruit for results on the field. Like you expect Ohio state to go darn near undefeated and to be at the very, very top, you know, top five programs every year. And when that stuff starts to slip, you start to look for reasons why you look for blame. And maybe it's internal, maybe it's external, but you're trying to diagnose that. And um, that's to see that happening in recruiting is probably, I know, I mean, it, it's got to be frustrating for fans and make them a little bit wary because they know that there is a correlation. Like the farther you slip there, the farther you probably slip from that ultimate conversation they want to be in at the end and being in a national championship. So the thing that I wonder about, Stephen, as we've referenced sort of that 2019 class as a comparison point a couple different times, 2019, they slipped a little bit, but you Mm. understood why they slipped because it was transition. It was Urban Meyer to Ryan Day. And then once you got your feet back under you, then Ohio State in the next couple classes kind of got back to normal. And everybody was like, I can't believe it. Ryan Day is continuing to recruit at the same level as Urban Meyer, maybe even a little bit higher. How are they doing this? Do you think this year in this transition, whereas Ryan Day said a week ago, we have gone from NIL being part of the conversation in recruiting to being the conversation in recruiting. Do you think this could be a one-off, not in NIL getting fixed by the NCAA in the next year, but in in people adjusting to it. And I guess by people, I mean, mm-hmm. this is an Ohio State podcast, Ohio State, mm-hmm. that a year from now, maybe much of the NIL scene will be similar. Maybe there will be some tweaks, but that you just kind of worked through the hiccups and that Ohio State 
will have a few more five stars because maybe they're now willing or able to match whatever the going rate is for five stars. And that maybe they aren't waiting quite as long to close, or maybe they are building relationships a little bit earlier, or maybe they aren't spending as much time on the guys who they think, oh man, that guy's just going to be all about that. We're going to go here. So maybe we give up on the 11th player in the country, but we locked down the 63rd player in the country because we figured that part out earlier. This has been a recruiting operation since Mark Pantone got here that they figured it out. Do you Mm -hmm. think this maybe could be more of a kind of a down little dip, but not a trend, but it just took Ohio State this cycle to get a handle on how everything, and not only them, although in the end, Bama like got two five stars on signing day and like, you know, kept Caleb Downs and like Bama in the end kind of was Bama. Is it a blip or is it a trend, Stephen? I think the answer to that question is both yes and I don't know because it's yes to the things that the people within that building can actually control. And what it can control is, how they change their approach, you know, the strategy, how they attack certain things, how much time they spend with certain guys. You can control that part. Just like with that 2019 class, it's like, oh, okay, if he just goes out there and wins some games, then everybody's going to – recruits will not just go, oh, it's going to fall off a cliff because Urban Meyer is not the head coach. And they went out there and won some games, and then the 2020 and the 2021 class happened. So that stuff they can control. I don't – they don't have much control over – is the money going to be there for the collectives so that they can match whatever school X is offering? So that's the part of this that is so up in the air that you can't answer right now until you see some, I I don't even know how to describe, because I don't want to say better or worse, because I I don't know if I'm in a place right now to judge the job that these collectives are or aren't doing, but clearly right now they didn't have enough. So I don't know if, I would be comfortable being like, oh, yeah, they're for sure going to have enough for when, you know, whoever the, the 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 Jeremiah Smiths of the world are trying to – that Miami's trying to pull him away in six months. But I do think the parts that they can control, they will get better at because it, we've seen that proven, that they're willing to adjust and adapt when the times call for it. I also wonder if, like, gigantic Ohio State Booster X will be like, no more of this crap here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, you know $10 yeah. $10 million. Dollars. I, 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 do, I do – I think that – that might be like a thing that like this coach, like especially Dave might be, it's like, stop, uh, stop donating to put your name on a building and donate so we can put more banners in this building. That might be some of this conversation, but also Ohio State could really use a national championship right now <laughs> just for the sake of some juice. Because- no, no, but I know. Well, but the whole point, I mean, that's, it's like they really could use a national championship so they can get more money to pay more players yeah. So they can win a national championship. Also, the whole point is you can't say you need the end result so that you can better do the things to get you to the end result. But, I mean, it is weird. It, it's very hard, Nathan. They're not down. This is not a down program. No. They're one of the four playoff teams. Yep. They have the third best star rating in this recruiting class. They're not collapsing. They're not. But, Nathan, you have a little bit of information. Even in, like, the the idea of is the NCAA going to get a little more active? There are There is some NIL stuff changing that's worth touching on. Yeah, I was told last night that the and this may be out there. The, the NCAA has already said that right now, if a if a recruit brings up NIL to a Tony Alford or Brian Hartline or whoever, then Brian Alford and Tony Hart, uh, Brian Hartline can give a can tell them here are the people you need to go talk to. You can he can direct them directly to the collectives. 
I was told that the rule is changing as of January 1st and teams and schools are not supposed to hook the recruits directly up with the collective. Like it's it they're they're the NCA I think is trying to back people away from the boosters giving money to players. So what's happening right now? You made when we were doing our video and people can go find that uh, on our YouTube channel. You brought up this analogy Doug of the um like with with legalized gambling and how you wouldn't have gambled before when it was just with a bookie because you didn't want someone to come and um, break your knees when you didn't pay. But if you're just doing it on an app when it's legal and you can make your $2 bets, then you'll do that. Uh, Here's, I think, a better analogy. Like right now, Ohio State is like cultivating, um, by the way, uh, Ajani Cornelius just committed to uh, Oregon. So he will not be coming to Ohio State as a transfer. Uh, Phil, remember when we had the Oregon guy on the podcast, and the Oregon guy, the Oregon guy was like, "Ah, Phil Nice cannot get involved in NIL," and I said, "Shut your face! You're lying! You're <laughs> lying!" Nice. And then Oregon, Phil- Oregon bought nine players today. Phil Nice watched the Ducks the last few se- two seasons, and I've seen enough. Here's yep. a, here's a check. <laughs> Write what you need. Leave me alone. Do you think? Do you think Nike might matter in NIL? No, <laughs> no, it'll just be like any other school. Stop it! Anyway, here is the here's the analogy I want to make about legalized gambling. It's like Ohio State right now with the way that it's using the collectives and trying to like crowdsource and get a bunch of like that's like being uh, that's like having Tishu, who is like a committed gambler who has it as a, a a major hobby and is really smart about it and invests in it and steadies it and is very like deliberate and grinds away at it and does a great job. Tishu doesn't do though is go drop the six-figure bet that changes the line. And other schools have the guys right now, or girls, I guess it could be women, who are coming in with the bet that changes the line. The guy that comes in and takes a side that then shifts the number that you're betting on. And Ohio State doesn't have that right now. They don't have just that crazy the fat cat. It it doesn't exist. So until they find that person, and then now that gets you into a whole nother conversation though how you want the end result of that person being in your program as far as getting that player. But honestly, just lost a flip in Kyan Lee to Auburn. There might be no more dysfunctional. I don't think there is dysfunctional athletic program in the country than Auburn coach two weeks ago. (laughs) It's, it is a disaster. It's been a disaster for years. It's been a dumpster fire loaded with diapers. Like it's been like, they've had problems upon problems there. So, and part of it is the booster involvement. People have said for a long time that it's a nightmare there. So which do you want? Like, do you, uh, it doesn't have to be one or the other, I suppose, but, but when you accept that and you're, and you're taking on this money that may come with strings attached, what are the repercussions? And that's something Ohio state is dealing with because I actually don't know the answer because on one hand, as you're saying, uh, you, at the end of the day, you are still just judge on the players that you get and whether you won with them or not. And I think that's what's causing the headache for Ohio State. They thought that going into this new era was going to take this under-the-table stuff and and equalize it. That before you would complain about, well, we think that guy, something happened there. And now everything above the table, so now you can compete on an equal playing field, but that isn't happening. Yeah, it's just about winning. And I do think it doesn't – I think we can still judge Ohio State based on recruiting results, but I think we have to have the context of do the recruiting results matter quite as much? Because Urban Meyer always said, if they rank you in something, I want to be number one. I just don't know. 
we can say, oh, Ohio State, you know, had the fifth overall class this year, you know, by overall stars, by overall point total. You know, and usually I have number three, like number five. I don't know. That's kind of – but what really is going to matter is, okay, well, did they get somebody in the portal to fill in? Did they develop guys better? Did so? And you have to – the thing is we don't take points – well, let's just do this. We don't take points away from a recruiting class when guys transfer before they contribute. And maybe you should. And it was like one of those things, like in 2018, Justin Fields was not part of Ohio State's recruiting class. They had the number 20, they had the number two class in the country in 2018. If you add Justin Fields to that class, which you may as well, they had the number one class. Well, that's not what we talked about on, on, on 18. We didn't say they had the number one class, but they got the effect of the number one class because they added a guy who was the number two recruit in the country after a year. I almost think that we should do like a, a final reevaluation of like, you know, well, Texas A&M, here was their recruiting class last year. But if you take away the guys from that class who are transferring right now, what was their class? And I do think, so it's going to be about winning. It's all going to be about winning. But I think maybe the context is this day matters a little less for winning than it used to. Doesn't mean it's not important, but it's not the end all be all the way it once was. It doesn't mean you still don't hold Ohio State to a high standard, but I think we have that context. Let's talk about the guys they missed on before we get to the six-hour mark. I just did this. This is shorthand again, Stephen. Shorthand. I went through their June official visits. Mm -hmm. For the last three years, I didn't do the COVID year, but I did like, I guess it's for like three years ago, June official visits. They had 13 guys that visited and signed, 12 guys that visited and didn't sign. For last year's class, they had 15 guys who visited in June and signed, 26 who did not sign. This year's class, they had 12 guys who visited and signed, 21 who did not sign. So my inclination was maybe, huh, because that's a decent indication, Stephen, right? Like that summer, like it used to be Friday Night Lights. Now it's yeah. more of a, it's a barbecue, but it's like, hey, we want you here. These are the guys that are, we are super interested in, mm-hmm. and you're interested in us. Do you convert those guys? Their conversion rate is lower than it was a couple years ago. The conversion rate for this class is not much different than it was for the previous class. When you look at those guys who visited in June and then went somewhere else, four went to B- four signed with Bama, three with Georgia, three with Miami, two with Oregon, two with South Carolina, and two with Auburn. So, Stephen, I think when you look at Bama and Georgia – Sometimes you lose to Bama and Georgia. Nathan, I think you said that earlier. It's like, well, I don't like mean, that's In that context, in this context, under these rules, under those rules, Bama and Georgia are going to be Bama and Georgia. Stephen, when I do look at three to Miami, two to Oregon, two to South Carolina, two to Auburn, that feels different to me. And I'm not saying that's an end-all be-all, but I feel like maybe that's some indication of their June official visit conversion rate would be higher because in the old days, if you would have said, oh, you lost three guys to Miami, it would have been like, what? And now I think we understand why they might have lost three guys to Miami. They might have lost, you know, six other guys to schools that aren't winning like Ohio State on the field, but might be more willing to do what it takes in NIL. Is that any kind of fair analysis? That's a really good analysis, actually. I completely agree with that. And it's 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 under the lines that we've been kind of talking about since this NIL thing became a thing is you know, who you're losing to. If you're losing to Bama and Georgia, more than likely most of the time it's not NIL. Now, it doesn't mean it's not a tiebreaker, but it's not the reason number one why you lost a kid. If you're losing the middle-of-the-road programs, 
it's probably an NIL reason number one. And if it's not, then it's it, it's typically either it's NIL or it was a kid that you were really interested in and you probably backed off. And typically if you backed off other programs who are on the same caliber of you also backed off. And that, and yeah. that can, one of those two categories applies to everybody you just named who didn't commit to Alabama or Georgia, or I'll even so say you, like USC because Lincoln's. There, yeah, but yeah, that's fair. That's the real world. You sent a text during the day on Wednesday, talk about finishing second on some guys. Let's give some names. Let's give names of guys that were maybe close to being in this class. Maybe in another year would have been in this class. Maybe Ohio State kind of blew it with the guy, but the guys that they still were right there. And if they would have gotten one or two of these guys, it would have changed how we're looking at this class. Who are the guys at the top of that list? Yeah, we kind of hashed out Caleb Downs a little bit there, the number six player, the top safety. That is such a... I mean, from the moment they started recruiting this 2023 class, it was him and Sonny Styles sitting at the top of their board. And they built strong relationships with both of those guys. And even when the secondary staff changed over, Perry Eliano quickly immediately built a relationship there. Plus, uh, Caleb Downs, his father, has a strong relationship with Tim Walton. That's – I mean, they did as well as you could there. You threw – you shot all the bullets – you know, the gun in the holster and you just, it just didn't pay off for you. But I, I think you can live out. I, I mean, I'm not going to tell fans to live with the fact that they didn't get a good player on their team, but it's, you did everything you could there. No stone was left unturned as CJ Stroud likes to say in these situations that that was a finished second where it felt like the score was 96 to 94 and you just missed and, the final shot. And again, this is the guy that Ryan Day couldn't reference him by name. But at the June NIL meeting with Columbus business leaders that I went to, he said, the number one safety in the country wants to come here. Mm-hmm. But we have to, he's interested in real estate, and we need to be able to give an NIL presentation to him that at least makes us competitive and makes it possible. And it's obvious that he was talking about Caleb Downs in yep. that situation. And in June, he said, he to a public group, he said he wants to come here. So to me, that has been the canary in the coal mine for this NIL discussion around Ohio State. I think, still, Stephen, like we believe in the end, Caleb Downs, as you just said, still had great interest in Ohio State and did not pick Ohio State. And that is some indication of something. He wound up at Alabama, and it's some indication of something. It does not mean that Ohio State is about to plunge off a cliff, but I think it is something that Ohio State, when it is talking about this new world, I think Ohio State internally and externally will talk about Caleb Downs and say, how can we prevent that from happening again? Because we think this kid really liked us and we really liked him, but he didn't sign here. Okay. That was the guy we had to talk about first. You know, we talked about him before. We had to talk about him more. Who else? Yeah, and there's a, the next guy I'm going to talk about. I'm going to skip over one guy and come back to him just because he falls under that hat, too, of a guy who wanted to come here. But you can't. You can't turn down that type of money. You just can't do whatever the money is. You can't turn it down when the other team just can't even come close to it. Damon Wilson, the number 13 player, the number t- two edge rusher in the class, five-star recruit out of Florida. Uh, he came up here twice in the fall. He came up here for the Notre Dame game, and he came back up here for the Michigan game. And he had a lot of momentum going towards Ohio State. I think Larry Johnson did a pretty quality job. There's your edge rusher, your four-down defensive lineman, edge rusher, go-get-after-the-passer type of guy. In SEC territory, a place that, quite frankly, 
Ohio State hasn't had a lot of success in over the last couple of cycles in terms of defensively. Maybe since Chase Young was the last time they really went down there and got a dude dude who was truly from the SEC, at least in that, uh, that vicinity. I know Chase is from Maryland, so that's a Big Ten country. But still, the concept is still the same. And Georgia came on strong here over the last couple of weeks here, and a lot of that is NIL-related. And once again, it's as you just explained with Caleb Downs, kid wants to come here, but this school can give you this, and you can't even come close to that. I can't turn that down because I'd feel foolish. So those are the, the main two where it feels like in a world before NIL, they're definitely Ohio State football players. Okay. And again, like, listen, it just – I don't know. I'm not talking to a lot of Georgia coaches. And I'm not talking to like a lot of Alabama insiders, right? So we're trying to reflect. You try to talk to people around the program that you cover. You, you know, we're trying to present. So this is kind of how Ohio State is viewing it, which matters because this is Ohio State, how they're going to try to approach things later. So, all right, are the running backs on here? And did both running backs wind up going to Alabama? Are they high on this list or not as high? I know Fletcher obviously is the flip to Miami. That's pretty NIL related. But there was a time we thought these other two guys might be Buckeyes. Yeah, not Richard Young, because that one seemed like it was over from the moment he said he wasn't coming back up here. Justice Haynes, they did try to get back into that one um, over the last couple of months here. And so that that, that one can fall under this kind of Caleb Downs thing, where it, not so much the back part, but just the fact that there was at least an opportunity that maybe he flips. And then he, as of late, late shut that down when he decided that he wasn't going to do home visits with anybody but Alabama because he was originally supposed to do them with Bama, Georgia, and Ohio State. So there was a puncher's chance there. Not with Richard Young, it seemed like that had kind of fizzled in the spring. But were the three main guys they spent time on for running backs in this class, Young, Haynes, and Mark Fletcher? Yeah, that is correct. Okay. And they got Fletcher. And Fletcher. And and then I, Miami, yeah. Yeah, I got, got Fletcher. He flipped. And when they got Fletcher, I sat there and had a conversation with somebody where they were just like, I don't care which one it is, whether it's Richard Young or Justice Hands, whoever commits first gets the spot. And neither one of them ended up committing. Okay. So Fletcher to Miami, that's a Florida kid. As you said, same high school as Brandon Ennis. It's not a shock that a Florida kid wants to go to Miami. They're trying to get the U back together. But also that guy was in the house with Ohio State. And Ohio State, I mean, they – they don't have a huge, I mean, Jaheim Singletary and there's some other guys. There's not a huge, huge giant history of guys sort of flipping away from Ohio State that they really want kind of for no reason. Like Clark Phillips clip flipped because the coach that recruited him left, that kind of thing. But it's not, doesn't happen all the time. It happened a little more in this class. Who else are the guys that you think they finished second for, Stephen, that they were right there? I think two others or the big ones when I want to point out here. Keon Keeley, the number 10 player, the top edge rusher, long-time Notre Dame commit for about a year, and then he starts heading up the rankings. He committed as, to Notre Dame when he was like a borderline top 100 recruit. Notre Dame had a – I mean, we're talking about the Ohio State's class. Notre Dame's class just fell off a cliff. They had all types of flips over the last couple of days here. But reopened his uh, recruitment right before the football season started, and it was clearly Alabama versus Ohio State. And – it felt like from a fit standpoint, I think he fits Ohio State's defensive scheme better than he fits Alabama's scheme because he is a four down lineman, you know, defensive end. He's more Chase Young than he is Will Anderson in terms of pass rusher. And so I thought, and that was the, the pitch to him that they kept giving is we, you fit here better. Look what we've done with this guy. Look what we've done with that guy. But that was, I, there's NIL implications there. 
But I also think a little bit of that one is Bama is Bama, and that kid's from the SEC. He's from Florida. So that's part of this, too. You can, I don't want – this is not completely going to be a – they finished second for five or six five-stars because they didn't have the money. Some of it is these kids are SEC kids, and the best program in the country the past decade is an SEC program, and the team who's trying to dethrone them right now is also an SEC program. Yeah. That's hard. I mean, that's like that's back to Kings of the North kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, is, the, is, is the last guy Mateo? It is Mateo, where I always felt like just based off conversations with people and then that stuff that was being relayed to me that was validating my thought process was of the three five-star edge rushers, Damon and Keon included in that, Mateo Uyunglele was the best chance of getting one just because this is a kid from California. That family had already sent the kid each. East and his brother DJ to Clemson, so they like, staying close to home was not going to be an issue. And he had been to Ohio a crazy amount of times on his own dime, which is what any unofficial visit is. It's you coming on your own dime. They're paying for the ticket to the game, but everything else you're paying for. And he kept coming, he kept coming, he kept coming. Even if he was so quiet, I texted this as Texas. It felt very similar to JT where it was going to come down to does he come want to learn from Larry Johnson or does he stay close to home to a Pac-12 school or one of which is going to be a big, big, big 10 school by the time he's an impact player. But it ended up being the same race, Ohio State, USC, and Oregon. And Oregon has clearly come on strong thanks to the man known as Phil Knight, at least that's what it seems like. And he ends up at Oregon as another one of their big-time recruits. So that, But that all happened. It's – we're – recording this right now it's seven o'clock at night that's happened in the past 24 hours that you saw that momentum start to shift towards Oregon because for a while it felt like okay Ohio State's gonna pull this off and then around about 10 30 last night you started hearing some bubbling and stuff like that and then it ends up paying off around noon today so that's where we are you don't get any bonus points for finishing second Nathan the idea that that I asked Ryan Day about the idea of do you think there could be a world where in a transfer portal NIL world there are high school players making decisions based on finances which I said in the question I would do I just think we have to be careful here there had been an implication I think in previous years that like if you transferred you were like quitting and giving up on your program or whatever that kind of is an old was an old-fashioned thing I just think we have to be and, and there were even Ohio State recruits who were rec- tweeting out on Wednesday. And I understand where they're coming from, but saying, like, we got the guys who really want to be here for the right reasons. Getting money out of high school based on your skill and work to go to a place that is making millions of dollars off of football is not a wrong reason. I think that is not fair to any players who are taking – it is a wrong system that is forcing this situation. It is not wrong to want to be paid for your time, effort, and skill. That is, that's America. So I just think, and, and I'm not, you know, I just, I'm just to, to everybody. Like, that's not, and let's not pretend you're not mad. You're just mad that Ohio State didn't do a better job of doing that. Like, it's not that like, oh, we're too good for that. It's like, we didn't do that thing well enough. So guess what? It does matter. And these guys are not going to Idaho Tech for millions of dollars. They're going to other very good football programs that still likely will be able to develop, develop them for the NFL. And they're still going to win some games. So let's, let's just not put that on, on 18 year old kids and families who are doing nothing except living in a capitalistic society where you're paid for, for your, your worth. But Nathan, I asked Ryan to that question. Could you, could we see a world where guys make financial decisions out of high school 
Then after they get that first NIL money, after a year, they go into the portal and now they're making a football development decision. And he didn't go all the way down that road, but he didn't close the gate on that road. And I do think that's part of, as we go back, when we have to reevaluate classes, it's like, well, if, if seven of your guys transferred after their freshman year with their NIL money in hand, which you can't take back from them, and then Ohio State, those are the guys too, I think. The idea of like, I, we don't want to be too active in the portal, but if it's like, well, if we're being active in the portal with guys, it's almost like the second round of recruiting. I'd be active like a like a crazy person in that. I don't know if we're going to get there, Nathan. Could we? Do we think that could be like almost like a second wave of recruiting where Ryan Day was asked about planting seeds, right? Where when you're recruiting guys out of high school, you want them now, but you're also building relationships in case they come back around. Well, the portal already is the second wave of recruiting. Like that, that's already happening. I think could could the portal be even more um, robust, f- full than it is now? Sure, I think that could happen. I think you know, and, and Ryan Day, to be clear, when you brought that up, said the same thing. Like he doesn't say as much as he wants to say are the guys that we signed are here for the right reasons. He also said there are guys who are getting offered things right now that they can't turn down. Like I think he gets that. Like he understands that if you're a kid and maybe you don't even have to be from that underprivileged of a background, but especially the ones who are like, you can help your family maybe buy its first house. You can help your family um, get out of debt, whatever you need, like upgrade real life things. Like, I don't know how you turn that down. So, but I, I think, and the other people that I talk to in this sphere think that there is going to be at some point, the market can correct itself. The places where they're just putting the most obscene amounts of money towards this. And then when they see those players leave after a year, or if they see that there is no correlation between that and actually winning football games, you're not getting a return on your investment. I think you're either they're going to stop. I mean, two things will happen. Either they'll correct the, where that money is coming from and going, and then there won't be that disparity. Or the other thing I was just talking about is now do they demand more involvement and want to be more hands-on, and that creates headaches for those coaches, and do they start to push back on on how much they're allowing boosters to have this kind of influence? I, we're still just in – this is already the Wild West, but I think the Wild West was probably at its wildest on like, you know, day one and th- three weeks in and one year into the what the other period is we call the Wild West. And then like a civilization starts to develop over time. So we're a civilization will develop out of this, but we're in the Wild West situation right now. I do just think there's one, like the version of the portal now where it's like at least the way Ohio State does it, it's like, oh, it's like an established guy who's done a thing who now wants to come here. Like to me, that that the difference of the portal is like it's still young guys who really have not done anything at the college level that are almost being re-recruited, Stephen, that they made their first choice for a very specific reason. And now they're very open to changing that choice and basing it on other reasons. And it's like, I took the money, I got the money, now I'm going to go somewhere else where maybe I I really wanted to go to begin with. That's different than Jonah Jackson. That's different than, can the Ohio State get the Washington State tackle? That's different than Trey Sermon, right? I mean, it's not, wouldn't be entirely, I mean, Justin Fields had a very, kind of a very specific thing, but it's almost like, to me, if you get a transfer of a guy who's only been in college for one year, that's different than getting a transfer of a guy who's been in college for, for two or three years or four years and has been a starter and you're trying to evaluate him this way. If it's a guy who's only been in college for a year and hasn't played, you're almost evaluating him, Stephen, like a high school player. And I just wonder if that could become more common. We've noted and talked about, for instance, some of the Texas A&M guys who have already gone into the portal 
either one or two years after being at Texas A&M and barely playing. It changes the philosophy for Ohio State, who has used the portal as plug-and-play, and it's no longer plug-and-play. Because if you've only been in college for a year, dude, you've got two more years to you even eligible for the NFL job. So you're looking, you're almost using it more to find Justin Fields than you are Jonah Jackson. Yeah. So I think I think that could be new. That could be more common. So we'll see if that happens. That's our signing day. It's complicated, man. Back in the day, Jim Tressel used to come in and they'd show high school film of every guy they signed. It would be in February. Half the guys would be there already. We'd be like, oh, it's signing day for guys who have already been enrolled since January. They'd make some of the freshmen come in and stand there in their jerseys and watch the high school film and then come up and talk to us. And it was like, hey, everybody's in college now. Congratulations. And now it's this. So I get, like, I get why fans are like, can I get back to that? When it was just a fun celebration? Man, it's complicated right now. Fix it, NCAA. Make it better. There's a way to give people their value without junking it up as much as they've junked it up right now. Thanks to you guys for making Buckeye Talk part of your day. A lot of stuff from Ryan Day. We'll be writing stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. We've texted stuff at 614-350-3315. And we talked about it. You just heard it for two hours. For Stephen Means, for Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.